0: Ready, Dave. Rocket. rocket. I'm taking a rocket. I'm packing my suitcase. And look
1: out, hey, every. Bloody. Whoa. Halloween's over, but not here. Halloween been over. (laughs) This is Don't Let us Start, a podcast podcast about about. They Might Be Giants, and sorry, there's an echo in here. Let me just take care of that. (laughs) I am Jordan Cooper. I'm Dave Fox. And today we're still talking about John Henry. John Henry. How's life, Dave? Everything's great. How how are you? You had a birthday. I had a birthday. I had a birthday.
2: I turned... (laughs) seven (laughs) um i turned i got a skateboard (laughs) i turned 40 you had a big one a Uh, big old birthday yeah (laughs) you know i was thinking about that how you're really old now (laughs) yeah like late 30s right still seems super young when you're like i'm 37 you're like you're a baby right yeah and then early 40s seems like your life's over
1: yeah i know
2: you're like i'm 40 Okay, well, we're just gonna brush you off into the grave, and
1: yeah, I mean, I was talking to a guy at work, a therapist who is like sixty, and he's like, he's like, oh, give me a break. He's like, I'm I'm sixty. I'm having more fun than I've ever had. Speaking of work, Dave, I just have to announce this: I got a line. (laughs) I I just want to say, look for me maybe in uh, History Channel, yeah, food that built America. So I was uh, assigned, as usual, as a background actor. Which is what I do to make extra money because I have no skills uh, except knowing about they might be giants, which doesn't get yeah. me much money. And they gave me a line, and that never happens. Like if you know the show extras, the running joke is that in every episode, Ricky Gervais's character is trying to get a line. Yeah, you know, like it's this rare, uh, like so shooting star.
2: If you get a line, does that guarantee you stardom?
1: Well, I think so. Okay. I mean, so Okay. Well, it's nice knowing you. So it's it's uh food that built America and it's about the Is I mean,
2: your line boy this food
1: sure built America? <laughs> back to you. It's about Pat Sajak. It's about uh Skippy peanut butter. Wow. <laughs> and I talked to the inventor. Are you Wait,
2: wait, is this your yeah. line? Mm,
1: you know. <laughs> this peanut butter is a Yeah. <laughs> Sticky. Daniel had a funny joke when I told him, when I texted him, he said, is it this peanut butter is making me thirsty. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I was the assistant to the, the guy who runs Skippy and I hand him a letter that has bad news on it. And I was- the, Your di- mother is dead. The director told me to look <laughs> nervous, yeah. which is also, by the way, like usually background peanut actors- Peanut butter
2: killed your parents.
1: Mostly background actors don't have to act like- oh, we're Nothing just, on any of these? All right, we're just. right. <laughs> I'm trying to get through it. We're just walking around. Um so when they actually have a they had a camera yeah. pointed at me uh pointing like, at that beautiful f- like puma 5 feet away uh so it was like pretty you know nerve-wracking they're yeah. like oh pretend you're nervous and I was like I am nervous but um so we did a few takes where I the just directors give,
2: like you're fired
1: I give him this letter and I walk away
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: and
1: so he was talking to both of us and he was like so the guy looks at the letter and he goes another patent and he's angry mm-hmm. and the director's like oh you say another patent and then say uh it appears so and I was sort of like, I didn't know he was talking to me because this never happens. So I was just like, oh, me? And he's like, yeah, yeah, buddy. Like, And I was like, oh. And I like got really like freaked out, but I was also like very giggly because I was like, this is crazy. As
2: soon as you talk, you're like, it appears so. <laughs> I was like, it's like, oh, we can't use this guy.
1: I, it was crazy. A lot was going through my mind. But anyway, I did it. I went, uh, I did it. You wanna know how I did it? More than anything. Well, you have to be the other guy. You have to be the Skippy oh. guy. You have to go, another patent. Another
2: patent? Was he that mad?
1: He was more like stressed out. Another fucking patent?
2: Jesus Christ, these motherfuckers are breaking my balls. Say say it for real. Another patent? It appears so. Wow.
1: (laughs) I was like, I got. The
2: Oscar goes (laughs) to
1: the Emmy, it'd be an Emmy. Um, Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) No, I toned down the nasal because I couldn't be like, it appears so, sir. Have you heard about John Henry? I I uh, it's a choice. I did it in like a more throaty kind of like it appears so, because mm, you know? it's like, yeah. a hush, <laughs> like hushed, right?
2: In hushed tones.
1: So look for me. I, I assume they're gonna cut it out because they only did one take. Oh, and then <laughs> after he was like, so
2: this was all a waste of our time.
1: But then when I was waiting after they finished, the PA uh, brought me new paperwork and she's yeah. like. Uh, so you had a line, so you're now not background, you're actor, so wow. you get a pay bump and you need to fill out the paperwork again. Like the going to say stuff. she brought
2: you papers was like, I've never seen a line reading like that in my life.
1: <laughs> and then, but here's the thing. Is that she, Daniel Day-Lewis? She said, she said right now the director's on the phone fighting the executive producer to get your line in, in the edit. Wow.
2: Um, They're fighting for Because he you. threw
1: that in there and it wasn't planned.
2: So. I don't think it adds anything necessarily, but. <laughs> cool they're fighting for it.
1: But anyway, I just had to break the news because it's like one of the most exciting things that's happened to me. That's Uh, pretty crazy. We are talking about more John Henry songs. I thought this was extra talk. Uh, I wanted to say, Dave, just before we get to the specific songs, I was thinking as I was preparing this, I think this is my favorite chunk of the album.
2: Oh, my God. I was thinking the same thing. Oh, my God. I'm not even trying to suck up to you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why would you try to do that? You usually I do just the approval. <laughs> usually, bl- blow down on me.
2: <laughs> uh, how are we going to cut around that? <laughs> These next three or four songs are probably the best songs on the album. Uh, yeah, in my it's, opinion. A,
1: it's a, what we'd call a streak. It's, it's, a yeah. uh,
2: it's a powerhouse.
1: No one knows my plan. Dirt bike destination moon and, and a uh, self called nowhere. I'm going to assume we're going to get to, <laughs> mm, I mean, meet James Enzor's no slouch either, yeah. but in terms of personal favorites, oh yeah, like sure. these those, like at least those three or four in a row, I'm like,
2: I think destination moon is my favorite on John Henry.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a High solid choice. Um, yeah. Well, this next song is my favorite on John Henry, Uh, yeah. and we're going to – you know that. I probably said that to you, right? Have I? I don't know.
2: I kind of tune you out a lot.
1: (laughs) And it's called No One Knows My Plan. Here's the thing about, you know, like not listening to an album for a while. It's, it's, um, that song gi- gives me these, they're like happy chills. <laughs> uh-huh. They're not chills where I'm like, Oh, I'm so that uh, this song is, cause I, there's a lot of songs that do that to me where I have yeah. this kind of very emotional response. That song gives me like a, it's like almost like a tickling, like, a. Huh. <laughs> like trying, I knew I wouldn't say this well, but it, it, it gives me like you a, were right. a very.
2: Makes you happy. The emotion's it's like, happy. It's
1: like taking an oxycodone. You know what I'm saying? Uh, no. <laughs> oxycodone is a is a big fat painkiller. I, I had to take it once when I had surgery. Legally, yes. Let's go on. <laughs> when I had surgery, I was given it. People listen to this. I was given it by a doctor. Yes. I'm a good boy. Um, <laughs> I'm a good boy. I, so I had leg surgery, which yeah. ended up not doing anything, so that was a big waste of time. But anyway. um, But you have legs now. <laughs> yeah, now I have legs. <laughs> I had leg surgery, and much like the narrator in Destination Moon. I had a withered leg. That's true. And, uh, and withered hope. I was prescribed oxycodone. Yeah. And it, it put me in like this, not just a good mood, but I was, I was constantly crying from feeling over um, sentimental and emotional. Wow. So I would think about my life. Would it
2: give you estrogen or something? <laughs>
1: Maybe. Um, I was thinking, I would think about my life and the how, yeah. how good it is. You should, be which is like very that every out of day. It's very out of character for me. You should all be like that. And I would like literally cry. Life is beautiful. I would cry from like I just like I'm so happy. Yeah. And but then the problem is then it would I would crash really bad. Yeah, so that's the,
2: drugs. You're describing drugs. Yeah. So this song makes you feel like it gives you're, me the
1: oxycodone. This very content, like I'm in a, yeah. a blanket, like happy. It must feeling. be the trumpet. I've actually really tried to listen, like what is harmonically happening that makes this me in a good mood, I have a memory of seeing them live and I think I was having like some sort of stomach sickness or anxiety issue, and the, everyone was shoving a lot at the show. I think it was—I think how it was, rude, <laughs> yeah. I think it was Irving Plaza, and they did this song, and I, and I it like actually cured me. Like yeah. I remember being like, I don't feel st- nauseous anymore. Like I Ooh. feel really happy.
2: Brush those blues away.
1: But I do notice with this song, which is why the, the start of this, I said when you haven't heard it for a while, like it it, it lost it it lost that effect on me for a while. Because I, I just heard it so many times, yeah. but like I was, you know, avoiding John Henry for a long time until we were, because I knew when I we were preparing this, I'd hear it so many
3: times, right?
1: And uh, no, it worked again. I was just like, God, this song. So
2: it's the I think it's the rhythm and the trumpet mm-hmm. starting it out. It's a great side B song to yeah. start off.
1: The first time I heard this song was not on this album. It was as the theme song for Cartoon Planet. Oh. On Cartoon Network, Cartoon Planet was a Space Ghost Coast to Coast spinoff that didn't have uh, celebrity interviews, but it, it was just the characters being silly and, and hmm. mainly about uh, brack. brack. This was the theme song. I didn't I didn't know it was They Might Be Giants. And then when I first heard John Henry, when uh, our friend Matt would play it in at summer camp, like being like, "Oh, I like They Might Be Giants too." You know this album, yeah. and like I didn't have it yet. I was like, oh, I know this song. Holy shit.
2: I didn't know it was from that.
1: Yeah, it like really clicked in my head. Yeah, Dave, you like the song, obviously. Yeah, probably Um, like. You love it. (laughs) You're in love with it. I
2: am in love with it. I'm in lust with it. It's probably second or third favorite, I would say. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. don't know. Maybe first. Maybe I lied. Forget. Forget everything you know about (laughs) They Might Be Giants.
1: Forget favorite on John Henry. Like for a long time, I declared this was my favorite They Might Be Giants song completely. I think I have a different one, which we haven't gotten to yet.
2: Is your favorite They Might Be Giants Yeah, of all time? Yeah. What is it?
1: I'll tell I'm saving it for when we get to it. Ah. It's take out the trash. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there was a, a, a long period where in my mind I was like, no, you know what? This is my favorite. They Might Be Giants hmm. You got to have a favorite. Why not?
3: Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm
2: just thinking, thinking. I'm trying thinking. to think what my favorite is. Dave like, has a big uh, favorite.
1: blank thought bubble above yeah. his head right now. <laughs> so it's a good song. What makes it good? Yeah, it's funny. Well, I have my notes about the music here. And, and one thing I wrote is everyone's playing the same thing all at once. <laughs> so like yeah. everyone's doing the, like the bass is going like, mm-hmm. something I didn't notice for a while is Flansburg's guitar is basically doing what the bass is doing. Like Flansburg has a very uh, subtle guitar part in the left ear. Uh, he's basically doing what the horns and the bass are doing. He's going like, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. You know, so, and it blends really well. It's not, it's not really, it's not super trebly. It's not like popping out of the mix. I only heard it when I separated the left and right and like listened uh, separately, which I did for all these songs, which was really, really interesting.
2: I think the rhythm has a little bit of a Latin flavor. Maybe that, maybe we should go to one of those countries. Does everyone feel like that all the time? I think so. They're always dancing. Yeah, they are. It's almost like a, I don't know, a samba or a rumba or something with an A at the end. I don't know.
1: But now the lyrics are a different story. A but,
2: different story altogether. But they're
1: also kind of happy in a way actually. The narrator himself is quite happy, I think. Quite happy.
2: Probably a serial killer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but he's but he loves what he does. <laughs>
2: Look, they say do what you love, you never work a day in your life.
1: So this is I mean I'm not I'm not uh, shocking anybody here. This is a narrator who's in prison. Yeah. It's the uh, first line this, of the this song. This is the first line. I think we can assume it's a literal prison, not a Ooh. metaphorical. <laughs> prison. Yeah, I know. Right? I'm not even going <laughs> to Let's go get there. into it. No. I'm not going to go down that yeah. path.
2: Well, he says iron bars. You can't really
1: <laughs> Yeah, prison cell, yeah. iron bars. I think I think Linell is telling a, a story about a guy, about a character. Not his
2: first time telling a story from a perspective of someone in prison.
1: Yeah, or uh, some sort of n- a ne'er-do-well. you right. <laughs> some sort of uh, depraved criminal yeah. or whatever. Flansburg does that too, I think. Yes. I, I feel like, you know, the must contain my secret smile is yeah. why, I, like, to me, this is a happy song. It's it's that feeling of of I know something you don't, and I'm smarter than everyone around me. Which, yeah. by the way...
2: Is how you feel all the time. Uh, yeah,
1: that too. But it's reminiscent of, you know, the other narrators that Linnell has in in this album. Yeah. Uh, like, I should be allowed to think, and why must I be sad? There, and Flansburg. Yeah, <laughs> extra savoir yeah. Fair. And it even has... I mean, not to jump ahead, but, like, this also has the line, no one understands. Which, like, I titled our previous episode, you know, um, you will never understand me. Because, like yeah weirdly a lot like almost like the car crash thing a lot of these songs have the word understand in them yeah. and there's still more coming and it's there's these narrators who just either feel like no one can understand them or
2: that's what it means to be human that's what art is
1: Cuban, <laughs> cuban did
2: i say hum- human
1: <laughs> yeah you got like a little stuffed nose there for a second human it's kind of cute human he's kind like a little bit ba- a little boy what it means to be human <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting that's that they, what art is we're trying to say here we are world yeah Love it or leave it. Loud and proud. This song's really consistent with the narrators on John Henry, which I was, you know, it's not something I consciously thought about until like this week, really. But he wants he wants to tell you, you my mirror. That's a weird line. You my mirror, you my iron bar. Yeah,
2: that's the one I didn't get.
1: Yeah. who's is? So is it a, mir- a mirror? Is it the reflection in the... The iron doesn't have a reflection. It's too rusty and shitty to have a reflection. It could.
2: Uh- <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if it was a literal mirror, like over the little sink where they shave right yeah yeah Well, Lan-
1: Lanel has a lot of song lyrics where he's in a bathroom looking in a mirror yeah that could be part of it so I really want to talk about the I, I don't know if you'd call this like a pre chorus or a chorus or a post chorus mm-hmm. this song has an unusual structure because the it seems like the first part is the verse but it almost it has the same music as what the chorus is which is no one understands no one knows my plan you know it's kind of a odd but I think something about the musical, um, the musicality of this next part is one of those goosebumps moments for mm-hmm. me where I'm just like, oh, it just sounds so great. Let's listen to that next part. And there's a lot to unpack here. When I
0: made a shadow on my window sheet They called the police and find But they left like the people changed up in the cave In the allegory Aligodhi-
1: So those, that chord progression, yeah. What the, what is he doing? I, I, I'll look it up even. It's an A minor, ah, that's the thing. When you want to have like a really effective bridge, going for an A minor is actually a super typical thing for a songwriter. I know I do it a lot, but he doesn't use it in a way where it's like, sounds like super, it's like sad or anything. It's more like it, it becomes a little emotional. Yeah. And you don't know why exactly, because with a lot of they might be giant songs, you're, you're not sure of the why <laughs> of anything. Yeah. But there's something about the well, like Flansburg does this big guitar strum, right? Mm. It's in the left ear again. Flansburg's there the whole time, you know. Really, before we talk about the lyrics, I just I do want to point out one little musical thing that I love in this in this part, and it's a good idea of. Uh, do you know what automation is? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, no. Well, there has different meanings. I mean, I mean, in mixing music, right? So I'll use it like. In my album, like when when our drummer Chris did a drum fill, I would mm-hmm. raise it up for that little four seconds, right? So it's like, oh, because otherwise it's a little buried. So
2: it's augmenting the levels. It
1: makes a mix comes come alive yeah. when you go or you too, when you would do a little bass melody that like I wanna I want people to hear more. Mm-hmm. I would like pump it up three or four D B. They do that really well. With Flansburg's guitar yeah. here, he does this little funky strum. Yeah. They call the police and testify. Yeah, that always <laughs> stuck out to me. Yeah, it's great because if they didn't do that, it would be a little more buried. But you can tell like it kind of goes almost well it's on the left, but it kind of goes front and center or front and left. And it's like one of my favorite parts of the song. And it's, it's like mine, too. I, yeah, again, it's like there's this weird feeling of joy in yes. that and the way he strums it, right? There's an exuberance, yeah, yeah, energy to it. And it's a great guitar tone and everything, yeah. too. I've been talking a lot, Dave. What, what do you make of these lyrics? And I, I say that I, I feel like I'm fucking you over sometimes, yeah, because I have so much. You are, <laughs> but I'm like, why don't you tell me your thing where you haven't researched it for three weeks?
2: Like I said, my impression of the lyrics is this is a guy who did something to end up in jail. Yeah. But he thinks that he's the only one that knows, like, why he did it. And, like, the the deeper truth behind it is somehow uh, more noble um, Mm. than anybody else realizes. I like that. That's why he's pointing out the allegory of the cave. Yeah which I'm sure you want to get into. I,
1: yeah, I mean, the, my least favorite th- thing in this show is when Linnell makes a super smart reference yeah. and I my dumb brain has to learn something like I was back in school. So did you I, read Allegory of the I Cave did read it.
2: before this song?
1: No, no, no.
2: Okay. That's what I <laughs> did was you? wanted to know. Yeah, I had to read it in school, I think. I took a, a yeah. Greek philosophy class. Oh in wow, high I never did that. It's short.
1: Yeah, it's short. I, I read it. I read a well, it's funny because I yeah. was I spent actually a way too long trying to find there's so many different translations. And I'm like, which translation should I read? And I was comparing and I was like, oh, they're really different. Um I, they say the same sentiment, but the some of the sentences were super different.
2: Well, but. because he's referencing that and that's all about what's the reality and what's the real truth. Yeah. I feel like you can misconstrue that to justify Whatever this guy did, being, <laughs> being a serial killer that made him go to jail.
1: Let's try to summarize um, The Allegory of the Cave by. Plato. <laughs> Thank you. So um, I, I
2: was looking at the floor. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The Allegory of the Cave by Plato. It's so it's about there's these About a couple of chicks <laughs> on a night on the town. Yeah. They're going to the cave, the club. Yeah. <laughs> the club in uh the East Village.
2: It's like what the Disney movie would be about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it'd be about the cave, uh wants to he gets lost and has to find his way home. That'd be and Pixar. <laughs> he <laughs> has to he meets another cave, he meets a rock, he meets a hill, he meets a uh cavern. <laughs> So the story is actually, it's two people talking. It's Socrates and Gla- Glaucon. Can you? Sure. It's them actually just, dis- it's not really a story in itself. It's two. It's these two people discussing an analogy and an right. allegory. And what the thing that they're discussing is, is a, a story about, and by the way, this is very Linnellian, yeah. the stories within stories. And it's the idea of that, like, say there were a bunch of people chained up in a cave, and all they they can't turn around there's a wall yeah. behind them all they could see is shadows on the wall and
2: they were born in the and cave and they were born in that that's cave that's important yeah. that's all they've ever known
1: they uh the shadows are actually like a trick done by like i guess the guards right well
2: they they say the artists yeah, I don't know weird. why, like puppet puppeteers. puppeteers let's say. yeah.
1: Some of the versions I saw had like the guards like laughing at yeah. them or like cards. I saw because I watched a YouTube thing that did it in a dumb cartoon way, so I could understand it, and it gotcha. showed kind of silly things. But um, so, I guess
2: that's a standard for anyone that has more
1: power power, than, power yeah. over you. So to these people, these shadows is the entire world. Yeah. So if they see a shadow of a horse, that's, that's just what like, they think is they, a horse. They think a horse looks like yeah. that. They don't know that it has like, it could be a different, different colors or right. that's three dimensional. Dimensionality. At all. Um, but then one of the prisoners escapes the cave. Let's
2: jazz it up. One of the prisoners is like, fuck this, man.
1: Yeah. Which is funny. You know, this never appeared in my head before, but uh, it's kind of like the narrator. No one knows my plan. He's a prisoner. That's funny. I didn't even think of this. He's a prisoner and he escapes or yeah. he has an escape plan. So in this story, uh, some, a prisoner escapes and he sees the real world and he's like blown away. Yeah. And he's like, holy shit. It's not
2: that impressive, but all right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he, has, he has kind of almost a psychedelic experience of yeah. like, oh my God, like th- three dimensions and color and blah, blah. And he comes back to the cave Yeah, and he tries to tell them and they all like laugh at him and don't yeah. believe him. And they like call the guard on him or whatever. Right. Yeah. Does that's that sound about it. right? It's funny, I'm looking at the, the cave thing. I'm looking at the allegory of the cave and Socrates says, stay with me then for another thought. I'm like, that's me <laughs> all the time.
2: Yeah, and the point is the people that are like enlightened enough to do this are usually mocked.
1: That's right. And and it's also the, well, also it's up for interpretation. Like you, you'll you see different people mm-hmm. have some different ideas and it's about, yeah, the nature. Some people go more, some people see it as very political yeah. about like structures and, mm-hmm. and oh, the, the downtrodden don't, uh, like they're not allowed to re- experience yeah. things. But then other people see it more like philosophical as yeah. not spiritual, as, yeah, like our le- levels of reality and how yeah. we don't like what we think is reality could be just shadows on a yeah. cave. Like, do we even? Here's a good example. I'm starting to trip, man. You're, you're hearing our voices. Yeah. Do we even exist outside of this uh, audio file?
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, we know, we'll keep it a secret. We know the answer, but our <laughs> listeners don't know, right? Right. What if so we're in AI?
2: AI. Yeah. Well, AI is really bringing a lot of this into question. That's right. Robots. Um, <laughs> I was thinking it was like Men in Black. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, he's like, yesterday you didn't know aliens existed. Today, you do. You do. Imagine what you'll figure out tomorrow. Some kind of shit like that. I, I, or like Galileo with the sun and all that shit.
1: A week ago, I wasn't an actor, and now I'm an oh, actor. Because I had a line right. in a yeah. TV show. I had to fill out paperwork that called me actor, not background or BG.
2: Yesterday, <laughs> Jordan wasn't beaten to a bloody pulp by I me.
1: Was, a <laughs> <Tomorrow>? week ago, <laughs> I was 39, and now I'm 40.
2: Yeah. Think about it. Do you um, feel any different? Any worse? Feels worse. Way worse. Yeah. <laughs> But nothing really changed. I mean, not really. Like it's not like all of a sudden you have you're
1: like in poor health and you know. It was like a like Cinderella, like when it struck midnight, yeah. turned into a rotting it's, pumpkin.
2: Well, it, bringing it back to this, it's a state yeah. of mind. You know, it's like yeah, yep. it's just a number. That's it's not true. your reality. That's true. In a sense,
1: I just wanted to point out there there is this. Uh, th- trend Linnell has with, with Greek stuff. He's has Jason and the Argonauts, yeah. uh, Greek number 3. Um, he's talked about having Greek ancestry. Uh, I find yeah. it interesting that he brings this up a lot. I also wanted to talk about the one thing that I thought was kind of a, a funny lyrical trick here. He makes this very, you know, this very educated reference to this right. story, but then he goes, by the Greek guy, which is like a, yeah, what a dumb funny. person would yeah. kind of say. So he's kind of like he's having- undercutting
2: it, his own smarty pants. He's having it both this.
1: ways because he's like making a very smart thing and then yeah. just his the narrator is like, oh, I thought I heard of that somewhere. Yeah. But let's talk about what the that allegory, what it has to do with the story here yes. and what it's
2: saying. That's what I was kind of saying before.
1: I'll go first or second because you kind of said it before. Um, what I think he's saying is that he's comparing the cops- and the, the people who called the cops on him mm-hmm. to the prisoners who are like, they saw me do something through my window shade, but they're, that's not the real reality, right? Like he's yeah, kind of being, yeah. I mean, it's definitely Linnell's classic unreliable narrator, but he's he's yeah. doing it to this extreme degree where he's like, they might have seen me strangle someone. Right. But what, you know, like they're they're just like those people who don't know what the hell they're talking about. Lino,
2: or, he, right? or he could be correct. I he just might be. This Maybe now. he was framed like, or whatever. Like that right? episode of The Simpsons where <laughs> Ned, it, you know, it's the uh, the parody of um, Rear, <laughs> Rear, 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 window. Window. Rear Window. Rear Window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You know, where he like whatever killed yeah. a plant or something.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. And screams like a woman. Yeah. Actually, look, why the shrieks of pain? But probably not. Probably the first thing where it's like, you know, I did this thing. I had my reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> There's always reasons. Yeah. Uh, well that's, that's very weird. Uh, uh, this whole
2: uh song is very rear window.
1: <laughs> that's true. Well, I, you know what else it reminded me of? And and I'm going to I'm going to preface this this might not be what he's referencing, but both of them do so many references to like classic pop songs. I, this always reminded me of the song Silhouette, which is actually yeah, used in one yeah. of my movies I made that mm-hmm. Dave stars in. It's on YouTube. I did a, an adaptation of the love song of Jay Alfred Proofrock, and the movie ends with uh, the character hearing this song. Yeah. And at the time, I, I didn't plan that. It was just on TV when we were rolling, um, but it, it worked perfectly. But so this is a song about a narrator seeing two figures in a window shade. Yeah. And misinterpreting, he thinks it's his like wife or girlfriend cheating on him. And then in the last verse, he realizes he <laughs> dumb but, that he was at the wrong house, and <laughs> that he goes home. It has like a, ha- it almost feels like when a studio makes a movie have a happy ending. Yeah, it's like he's like, oh, whoops, no, my girlfriend loves me. But for mo- for like three fourths of the song, it's this awesome like bitter, angry song about like i can't believe i saw her do that with this guy uh, let's listen to some of that because i just wonder if lanelle had that in there's not a lot of songs that mention seeing a shadow on a window shade you know what i mean yes it's by the rays silhouette
0: took a walk and past your house late last night all the shades were pulled and drawn way Two silhouettes on the shade Oh, what a lovely couple they made Put his arms around your waist Held you tight Kisses I could almost taste In the night Wondered why I'm not the guy Silhouettes on the sheet. I couldn't hide the tears in my eyes. Silhouettes silhouettes silhouettes
3: silhouettes,
1: silhouettes, silhouettes. 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 I always, it's like I see the same house in my mind for both right. songs in a way. I don't know. But it might not be a reference. There's going to be a lot of uh, guessing in this episode, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I think the chorus is officially the next part, <laughs> even though it's, like I said, it's similar music. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the first verse so no one understands no one knows my plan
2: maybe that person he strangled <laughs> was uh, a killer himself yeah maybe and he's well, like i did you all a favor
1: so then you're saying the plan is in the past it's his plan but i, I always saw the plan as his like escape plan to get out of yeah, prison. yeah
2: no right? i did too
1: yeah yeah you're but that's not a crazy idea yeah. maybe there's a past plan that no one got right. that he did and a future plan in the next chorus
2: could be all that and more, folks. Yes. Stay with us.
1: I think I threw you. We'll be right back. Um, so, so we're getting uh, little hints of what his plan might be, which involves, we'll do a checklist, <laughs> dancing, <laughs> shouting, shrieks of pain, lovely music, and number five, why the smell of burning autumn leaves. I was actually looking up burning autumn leaves it was like another song reference or something. But I don't it, think so. What's funny, you get a bunch of articles being like, why is the smell of burning autumn leaves nostalgic? And like all these like eh? <laughs> a- analyzing things, it's like the smell of fall or something.
2: Is that a thing? Do people burn leaves?
1: Yeah, yeah. In in I think more suburban areas, which we're not in because we're in a Won't city. Won't that light
2: everything on fire?
1: It's like to get house? rid of them because there's piles of leaves yeah, right? th- throw them in the gutter. So like a lot of people who grew up in the suburbs like no know, yeah. know this smell really well. Yeah. So this song also is it like burning hair <laughs> probably doesn't smell <laughs> like that. I've, I've never done that, have you? No. The burning autumn leaves is a, a sort sort of a nice toasty yeah. smell. Kind of like why I imagine I'd imagine like a, bar- Smells like home. a barbecue smell. Yeah. So it's interesting that he's evoking this very sensory uh thing. Uh well like what I love about the the lyrics to his Vague plan is it? It's it's very sensory. Like you get, (laughs) you sort of Mm.
0: see it, but you don't quite see it, right? The
1: The other thing about the line, the lovely music. When you have a line like that in a song that like has lovely music. It's, it's almost cheating, but it's like a strange, mm. um, it's a strange, like self-aware moment. Maybe that wasn't his intention because that'd be kind of like arrogant, but like, I feel like that line hits at home that you're just like, yeah, music is great. Yeah. couple more notes about the music. There's cowbell throughout. I think that also adds to the happiness.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Feeling. Cows are among the happiest animals.
1: Really? Did you hear oh, that? <laughs> they seem indifferent <laughs> to everything.
2: I noticed a trend of, I say something ridiculous and then you say, really? And then I'm stuck going, uh.
1: (laughs) Hey, you gotta back up what you say, man.
2: I say 72% of what I say, I don't know what I'm talking about.
1: Uh, Oh, that's better than some people. It's better than than our president. what's his name? Yeah, damn. (laughs) Uh, something
2: you mean we, our president or the real president? Because the election was stolen.
1: <laughs> something that we should mention: uh, two two uh, musicians. We should mention. We've got Stephen Bernstein on trumpet. He's been on a few songs on this album, but this is his real showcase. Right? Is that lead trumpet? Is that lead? Uh, <laughs> is that legal? <laughs> we can name him. You know, I, we're not doxing him, Dave.
2: The main line that you know, as soon
1: as the song yeah, kicks and, into gear, that's right. Didn't it, that's him? And he's really yeah. front. Nice. And, he's front. I keep saying front and center, but yeah. um. Dave, I have a special surprise to to play for you. Yeah. Um me. by myself, I spoke with the trumpet man himself, yes, Steven Bernstein. And wow. yeah, uh, you weren't there. Sorry. I I like <laughs> I did an imitation of you. I pretended you were there. Yeah. Uh I insulted his family. Good, no. Good. Um we did this super fast. It was kind of last minute. He's maybe the busiest musician in the world. <laughs> like oh. he, he quickly told me all the things he's doing this week, and it was Whoa. like, oh my god,
2: I'll have to hear all about it.
1: We have a really interesting conversation about how he got involved with the band, and a little about no one knows my plan. And we're also going to hear from him later on in this episode.
2: All right, so this is an exclusive for the listeners and for me
1: and for Dave. Dave hasn't heard. This. Right. <laughs> he hasn't heard this yet. This is my conversation with Stephen Bernstein, trumpet player. Throughout john henry first i just wanted to ask in general how did you get involved in this album john henry
4: okay so here's a story frank london was mm. the trumpet was, was playing trumpet with they might be giants yes and he had started to work with the klezmatics and so there was a gig and i want to say bowery ballroom I like, could be wrong. Sure. And he couldn't and he couldn't make it, and I subbed for them. And then they liked me because, I don't know, they liked me. And I think <laughs> actually, I don't know if like Trent could do the tour. They just asked me to do it. I can't actually remember what happened. Either way, they asked me to do the tour. Mm-hmm. And so I went on a roll with them. Over there on the trumpet, the boogie man all the from
0: Berkeley, California, the man who likes to call Space Team.
4: And it was actually my first rock tour with rock, a rock band. I played with plenty of rock bands, mm. and but I never toured with a rock band. Wow. And it was really a, a big, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I've had this experience. i played with, like, you know, from Levon and Lou Reed to yeah. just, like, the last couple nights, Hot Tuna and... You know, as well as like U2 and Radiohead and Nick K Hay- I mean, Yeah, El- I saw uh, Elton John. <laughs> pretty, and um... Yeah, I mean, it's a pre- it's a pretty wide swath of like amazing rock musicians. But this was like my kind of entry into that world. So it was kind of a, a big life event. And I, I just saw Tony Mamoni mm. the bass player. Sure. And I said to him, uh, one of the big events was being in the van with those guys and Nirvana's third record but the second one on a, the second one on a major label had just come out and we were listening to it in the van and it was my first time listening to rock music with rock musicians right mm-hmm. and i had tried to people i had listened to nirvana before i'm like yeah i, I guess it's cool i you know, was making a big deal about nirvana <laughs> yeah but then i got it because i was listening with those guys mm-hmm. and it really was a life that was a life changer for me it's like oh i understand this music now i get it i hear it you know yeah and so it was like a kind of life changing event going on the road with they might be giants
1: i'm glad to hear you say that because in my mind like it's like i like this kind of weird cult band they might be giants and a lot of right. the people we've talked to it's like this kind of little little thing to them that they did among a million other things
4: and, well it, i don't know about little but it is yeah. a thing i did a million other. but you have to understand like they might be giants to me. I remember them when they were the dial song guys. They were yeah. part of the, before they called the downtown scene, there was no downtown scene. It was just East village. yeah. And they were part of our general world of like weirdo East village bands. You know, they hadn't had a hit yet. Yeah. And they were just like, they were one of us as we would say, you know what I'm saying? Oh, oh co- completely. And we're all the same age. I think maybe that's also one of the reasons they asked me to go on the road with them. It's like, we're kind of all cut from the same cloth. We're around the same age. We're like, like it, you know, kind of the eccentric kind of way of looking at music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just made sense. It was a very great entree into that world for me, you know?
1: Yeah. Do you have a, any specific highlight or 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 low light or memory from that tour that stands out to you?
4: Well, I, I'm high, very interesting going to bed with earworms every night because their songs are fucking. Excuse my language. Okay, let's no. get let cut. Oh, okay. we curse all son, the time on this. Show. Okay. Okay. <laughs> their songs are fucking full of these amazing hooks and earworms. Right. Yeah. And I've yeah. never done that. And I just remember going to bed trying to get these things out of my head, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because I've had this, like I said, this crazy career where I've played with all these legendary, legendary rock musicians, but my brain doesn't really process lyrics as 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 narrative, mm. with the exception of Leonard Cohn. Sure. And I think that I think because Leonard Cohen's songs are are like. A true narrative they don't circle around a lot of times and and you end up having having to follow the story you know yes. because yeah and i think that's why i'm very quick at music i hear like i hear rhythms and and, and 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 notes and all these things very quickly but because of that the way my brain is is, is activated that the, the words just are just like a series of sounds as opposed to words with meaning sure and so we used to do <laughs> i say Particle man, particle man, kick him in the ass. Particle man. (laughs) Yeah, That was my big line. Particle man, particle man, kick him in the ass. Particle man. And (laughs) then, you know, that song with the horns ended up kind of having this New Orleans flavor. Well, I never thought of it that way, but yeah. (laughs) I brought that in. Wow. I would play slide trumpet. It was the beginning of my slide trumpet career. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of felt it like this kind of New Orleans kind of rumpy thing. And they kind of let me have my... I remember them kind of letting me... Get a little loose on that song because yeah. you know it was mainly playing horn parts that Kurt and and John had written. And uh, I mean, John had written, I probably, I think actually John had written all of them, mm-hmm. you know. And but you know, it's like a typical rock band, you play the horn parts. But on that song, they kind of let me go go loose a little bit. So I like to say that maybe it had a little effect on the uh, TMBG uh, songbook, yeah. <laughs>
1: So they they invite you to record. How how did that whole uh, thing happen?
4: Oh, it was just like, it it was just, you know, the the way it normally happened. They were making a record and we were the touring band. So, Mm -hmm. and they asked me to find them a trombone. I remember also going like, who played? Who did I get to play trombone? It was my friend Kevin Osborne. who Was a guy.
1: Yes. Were you recording these parts live with the band or by no, yourselves? No, no, it was, over okay. it was
4: overdub. 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 With
1: yeah. with uh, with the rest of the horn section or by yourself Yeah, yourselves? yeah, yeah. No, okay. no,
4: no. We all no no horn sections don't always play a horn section. No one no one does horn section. No, I don't know how it works. Because you understand with horns. Yeah, you when yeah. the when the sounds come together sure that's the sound of the horns it's like all the sounds coming together like individual horns isn't the sound of the horn section the sound of, of, the, of oh, yeah. the blend is the sound of the horn section I,
1: I agree i had to fake it though on my latest album because i oh, had- <laughs> people fake it all the time no i
4: understand but yeah. like i don't know if you know this but like the memphis horns mm. we all get around one mic yeah that's right yeah and that was the sound the sound was the sound of all the horns coming together
1: no One Knows My Plan is in the episode we talk about. Do you have any memories about No One Knows My Plan? It opens with this big trumpet solo from you.
4: That, oh, I'll, I'll, here's what I remember. That was one of the earworms. Oh, yeah. That was one of the earworms that I could not get out of my head late at night. It's like, really? I'm going to go to sleep hearing this thing for mm-hmm. like a hundred times in a row? Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I kind of remember that as being a particularly Linnell-esque, <laughs> earworm like, genius piece.
1: That solo in the beginning... There's two aspects to, I I guess, playing a trumpet, really. There's the notes, but then there's the performance, right? And what I'm hearing in that is this, like, I guess, like exuberance and the energy in that intro is really fantastic. No,
4: it's great, man. I didn't think it was me. I didn't think I could play that good back then. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> seriously yeah. like, that's not me i can't i could do that i know what you mean i listened to these songs and i realized i didn't remember them at all and they're fucking and they're so amazing that when i first heard no one knows my plan i said well that's not me playing i don't remember this at all <laughs> and, and then as i'm listening I'm like yeah man because it was like it was 29 years ago it was 29 years ago and i've had like so many lives since then and it was just kind of the beginning of me doing that It sounded fucking good. Oh yeah, no, I I know. I'm kind of amazed. It's really kind of incredible. But I guess it was one of those things where, like, the beginning of like the heartbreak of the music business. Like, you make this really incredible record, and then yeah, no one knows it even occurred. You know, I was really a different person, and I was like, kind of amazed I could do that back then. It's kind of really good. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Steven. We're going to be hearing more from him later and in the next episode that we record also. All right. And speaking more about the arrangement of this song. So actually, like, yeah, the arrangement of the song is that Flansburg's on the left and the horns are mostly pushed to the right, actually. Uh, So it's very, um, what that does to the mix, it's very bouncy. Like, things are really bouncing around your ears in in a fun way. We've also got Graham Maybe making his They Might Be Giants debut on bass. He's got two songs on John Henry and the rest are by Tony Maimomi. Graham maybe stuck with them for a while. He's Mm -hmm. a fantastic bass player. He does great stuff on this song. Like he really, he also, I mean, you probably dialed into that but he's like He's keeping that energy and that, like, happy feeling going on in the bass. It's like a very lively bass line.
2: Yeah, man. A lot of runs.
1: So now we're up to another musician uh, that's worth talking about. Uh, Robert Quine has a guitar solo again. Again. We uh, listened to our episode about Sleeping the Flowers for more of a very in-depth look at Robert Quine and his style and his other work he's done. We can just talk about it on its own here. The solo is great. Something that I, I thought about is because going through his other stuff, he's a little bit more of an avant-garde guitarist, like very weird. Mm-hmm. But here, he just delivers that happy, yeah, very like poppy, accessible, catchy solo. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah, he shreds. He like. He does his job really well here. And it's, it's so great. It's, ah, uh, it I'd like, say it's
2: a burning solo. It matches the lyrics. That's
1: right. Well, you know what I love? I mean, little aside, uh, I love live, live. when they, yeah, it's a lyrical change where, when they have Dan Levine on trumpet or yeah, with yeah. them, Linnell says the smell of burning Dan Levine. And then he plays the, yeah. <laughs> that always made me laugh. It's cute. It's 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 cute. It's, it's still cause it, but it's still that dark. Yeah. It's like, you know, they might be giants humor. I wrote, it's a happy version of the Sleeping in the flower solo. Huh, <laughs> so it's just like super, it's like, you don't know how this song could get more uplifting and then it it, it does it. One thing I also want to point out, the bass, not to steal away from Robert Quine and mostly nobody does, but their little bass fills in the solo are really fun. Like there's a part about in the middle part of it where Graham maybe goes a little nuts on mm. the bass. I'll, I'll play it Dave, Let's maybe listen.
2: you can hear I it. I want to hear some bass.
1: Yeah, he does these octaves. Doo, doo, yeah. doo, I can't even do it with my with no, my that mouth. Was perfect. But um and he does a cool counter rhythm too cuz he's mm-hmm. going like do 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 do. Goes really well with the percussion too. That too. I mean, this is one of th- I love all of Jean-Henry, but there's really something Did about you like Jean-Henry? <laughs> Jean-Henry. <laughs> That's a, that in came France? out in France, yeah. Um <laughs> when I when I hear this recording, I'm just like, god, I to just be imagine a, a party. Yeah, just like or just the way everyone's so insane Great like, party. <laughs> <laughs> they're so in sync, uh, and like you know, there's just something really mm. impressive about the live uh production of the song. It's well, and it
2: sounds like they're all playing together live, and yeah, they it really
1: does. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, they said some songs they were, and yeah, and, but I, like it, it almost seems like they'd have to for that feeling to come across, but mm. I, I don't know. Also, yeah. Oh, some one little note also is during the solo. Mainly, you mainly hear just trombone. You just hear like, burr, 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 right. like, and then the trumpet kind of sneaks in towards the end, or the trumpet's mixed really low there. Uh, this time, I was really like listening to the mixes obsessively. Hmm. Uh, hopefully, that'll bring something interesting. <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never First know. time for anything. So then the next verse goes: In my prison cell, I buy my time. Always thinking, always busy cooking up an angle. Yeah. It reminds me of the burning autumn leaves. He's cooking something. He's burning, he's cooking. Metaphorically cooking, but you know, working on the, this is a weird line, working on the tiny blueprint of the angle.
2: Like Shawshank Redemption. (laughs) Yeah.
1: <laughs> how is this song not in that
2: movie? <laughs> um, I don't think it would fit. <laughs> sketching
1: out the burning autumn yeah. leaves. So this really like, like hits it hits the point home that like, no, this is his plan. He's working on it, right? Yeah. Um
2: I guess that's the distraction that the guards. I was gonna have to ask you, out.
1: what do you think the plan is, Dave? Yeah. Use your uh creativity.
2: <laughs> so he's gonna first of all, he's gonna cook a guard alive <laughs> yeah. in a pan. He's gonna um Yeah. Commit, a, really a, big commit a horrific murder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, like in Looney Tunes where like bugs would be like in a whole cauldron and it would like make, make a soup out of him. That's yeah, what this oh, guy's yeah. doing. Classic. Yeah. Um, then he's going to jump out the window <laughs> onto a tree. And as he jumps under the tree, all the leaves shake out. Yeah. So that when he lands, the leaves are under him. Okay. Then he's going to take his matches out, light the leaves on fire. Yeah. And then he's going to walk away from it, like, facing the camera. And then there's going to be a big explosion (laughs) of the leaves behind him. Yeah. And then Iron Man comes.
1: Then he's going to walk into the wall that keeps him from leaving the person. Um, What about the dancing? See, my thought was, like, maybe he's like, come on, everyone. Let's start dancing as, like, a distraction. (laughs) And everyone's... (laughs) You know, because there's dancing and there's lovely music. Maybe there's a, a at the prison like once a week, like the Johnny Cash thing. Maybe there's a concert.
2: Mm, new plan.
1: <laughs> Giant yeah. cake gets yeah wheeled in. So instead of bursting out of a cake, he jumps into the cake <laughs> and digs a tunnel under it through the ground.
2: Well, I, I was saying there was going to be dancing girls in the cake. Uh, They're the distraction. And oh, then okay. He lights
1: leaves on fire, or he hides a saw in a cake. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Until I bide my time Always thinking Always busy cooking Up and end
1: Yeah. So it's work, working on the tiny blueprints of the angle is just an interesting turn of phrase. Yeah. I mean, because I always thought of an angle like he's literally because when I see a blueprint, I think of an angle yeah. like drawn. But he's talking about an angle as in a an approach. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so he's like, it's kind of almost a pun, I think.
2: Yeah, I think it's <laughs> supposed to be both.
1: I think it's a pun um, and that's a tiny blueprint. So I have a song called Blueprints about someone uh, planning a, a robbery. No one cares, but <laughs> <laughs> blueprints are a, to me, they're a very like a uh, heist movie kind right. of or prison escape movie yeah. kind of thing.
2: I mean, you know, architects and decent people use blueprints too.
1: I don't know. Have you ever looked into them? Maybe they're, they're criminals. They're all psychotic. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's that's the song. It's great. It has a big triumphant ending, right? Yeah. And. With that ending, we go into our next... A
2: new beginning.
1: Yeah, new beginning. Uh, the, the the Smashing Pumpkin song. The end is the beginning is the end. And that actually takes us to... Wow, is that really a Smashing Pumpkin song? And the beginning is the end is the beginning. Oh, that's a terrible They're from the title. Batman uh, Forever soundtrack or Batman and Robin. But that also takes us to Destination Moon. Terrible name for a song. That movie ends by saying the end of the beginning. But anyway, I'll get to that later.
2: I was like, wait, that's not next. No,
1: I know. But I, <laughs> how could I not mention it, though? The next song, we're going to take a ride on Dirt Bike. (laughs) Here comes the Dirt Bike segment. Dave, uh... Talk to me about uh, dirt bike. I need a rest. Great. I need to, I need to rest my weary bones.
2: <laughs> dirt bike is a great song. It was written by a man called John Flansburg. <laughs> Whoa,
1: you did your research.
2: Yeah. Uh, no, dirt dirt bike is great. It's kind of like a chill out song.
1: It's the ultimate chill out song, right? You know.
2: Yeah. And then uh, it's got great melodies. Mm hmm. Uh, I love it.
1: Very bass driven too, right? Yes, it has
2: a uh, great bass in it. It's a top five song on John Henry.
1: Yeah, it might be my number two even. Wow. I don't know. Like this whole run is basically like one, two, three favorite songs yeah, in a it's, way.
2: It's great. I love uh, something about the the tone of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't quite place why I like it.
1: Yeah, they don't have a lot of songs with this feel. And I, I really give credit to, <laughs> weirdly, I give credit to John Flansburg. No, I know he wrote it. My <laughs> point is I, I in terms of the um, variety of the band, you know, just like giving the band these like cool sounding, right. chilled out, song. like, cause AKA Driver is not a chilled out song, but it has that cool atmospheric vibe to it, you know? And it's yeah. like, it's not just a pop song. Yeah. It's not just a melodic pop song. It has as much to do with the arrangement and the feel as like the melody and the lyrics.
2: Yeah. the composition of this one with how the horns are arranged and everything else. Uh, yeah.
1: There's the long,
2: slow intro. It's like easing into a hot bath.
1: Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> I said, I said, it's contemplative. Yeah. It's like you're kind of thinking about something. Yeah. And then I love how, you know, Flansburg comes in with these clean guitar strums and they're very... Yeah. Um, this song uses dynamics really well and subtly because... And what are dynamics, Jordan? You're really hearing how soft or hard he's strumming the guitar. So like a lot of music's over-compress these days mm-hmm. where you don't get that kind of feeling or like even with a voice, like someone singing quiet or loud, it's all the same volume. And, you know, this that's one's more delicate. That's normal. But with, like, the guitar strums, I just love that, like, oh, you can, like, barely hear that strum. And, like, oh, that one's a little louder. He's getting into it, you know? And, like, you, like, you feel the energy.
2: It's a performance.
1: Because of, exactly, because of the the volume differences in that coming out of that amp that guitar amp and they didn't flatten it out in the yeah that was loud <laughs> yeah, yeah i smacked i smacked dave in the face <laughs> um <Ow. laughs> but uh so i, I agree <laughs> i think that has a lot to do with the very like soulful right. human feel of the song you know um the lyrics are a different story
2: <laughs> i know that's what's so crazy
1: yeah but um Will oh i also really quick it. about the mix it's similar to no one knows my plan the horns are mostly on the right uh, Flansburg's, Get out of town. <laughs> Flansburg's guitar is on the left. Yeah. And uh but Linnell's Barry sax is more center left. It's, it's, like me. No, it's more center. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> more a uh, more center left uh in the mix. So it's like you've got Kurt Hoffman and you know, you've got the horn section mm-hmm. more to the to the right, but Linnell's kind of with Flansburg in the mix. It's the guitar and the Barry Sax, and I think that's kind of cute. That's all <laughs> I just something I never thought about or noticed before. It is cute, speaking of music, Dave, the uh, <laughs> music that, you say is that a good segue? Yeah, Let's listen to what Stephen Bernstein, the trumpet player, on this song. Let's hear what he has to say about recording dirt bike. Let's do it. <laughs> Then we've got John Flansburg's song "Dirt Bike," which is another yeah, personal yeah. favorite because it just—it's like the total opposite vibe. But yes, I love it exactly.
4: Right, it's—it's it's, it's this whole thing. It's totally that's what two op- these guys—they write like one guy has all these like little chords, and one guy's like Mister Just Rock and Roll, like you know, Flans <laughs> yeah. is just Rock and Roll baby. Yeah. But his own his own version of rock and roll, though, you know? Oh, like, for sure. It, was, it wasn't like the Stones. It was like...
1: Yeah, it's funny. Plans. It's like I've never heard a song that sounds like Dirt Bike, and yet when I hear That's, it, it feels familiar somehow. But I, mean, I just yeah. don't know why that
4: is. What I will say, and this is just from my own thing, Mm-hmm. it's like i think like you hear a lot of like they gave me a lot of license to play this the way i play trumpet i mean mm. i know i know for anybody else it's just like you're hearing a horn part but for me who went on to become like an arranger and a band leader and all this stuff it's like no, everything i do is on this it's super personal wow. like when i my, i'm sure everyone else like that's yeah, a fucking trumpet but to me it's like no <laughs> it's all like like the little bends and dirt bike yeah at the beginning like i'm the only guy that does that like, that's, you know what I'm saying? Put those kind of bends in. That's just, like, my style. And it was already there. And and now there's even more of it in my style. Interesting. You know, I mean, I didn't invent it, but people don't play, like, you know, it comes from an older style of playing. I don't know much
1: about playing the trumpet, but, like, Dirt Bike, it's it's mostly, it's kind of like a quieter kind of playing. Does, right. Is that a separate challenge from playing like more uh like loudly is it because you have to maintain a certain tone or right. like, what does exactly. that entail
4: yeah right that's exactly what it is it, it's a different it, well, not more challenging it's a different yeah. kind of control it's a different and like it's making it like a voice instead of like a instead of like a hammer
1: that's interesting because yeah because if you if you slip a little suddenly you're it's like too much and it's like you ruin the the mellow vibe of the song right like no
4: if you, it sounds no it sounds I, there. and it sounds really good man oh and, yeah and i, I, I love dirt bike and i and i guess i assume like did linnell write everything i can't remember but the parts are just so good the horn part
1: yeah i was actually gonna uh, ask you if you remember where some of these charts came
4: from i i get the i, I don't know if linnell wrote them or kurt wrote them or it mm-hmm. was a combination but they're really good man so it was uh, but the whole thing i can't like it was such a short part of my life, so long ago, like it wasn't actually that fresh. And hearing all this, I'm like, oh no, man, it was like we really, it was kind of very bandy the way it all, we all played together. Mm-hmm. Tony Mamoni and Brian, it was like, it really sounds great, man. Yeah, it was a really, I, when I listen back, I'm like, God, this was a really good band, man.
1: Thanks again to Steven Bernstein. He'll be back later to talk about another song. But yeah, uh, this is one of my favorite th- arrangements on a They Might Be Giant yeah. song. Everything is in just like this perfect, subtle harmony with each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Here comes the dirt bike. Beware of the dirt bike. Cause I
1: yeah the bass and the drums uh they're so tight on this album but this song is like really it's really what you lock into and i love the the very dry sound of the drum kit it's like very compared to the next two songs the drum kit's very there's not a lot of reverb it's very close it's like Mm. you're right in front of him you know intimate in front of brian yeah the lyrics to dirt bike are a whole enchilada. Yeah, there's a lot going on. It might not seem like there is, but it, it In my in my travels, travels. <laughs> I discovered much <laughs> about dirt bike and and there's this is this is going to be more clip heavy than the previous segment. So what we're going to do for this, uh, I, I think the only way we can do this is go through kind of the, in chronological order some of the things that Flansburg has said about the song live on stage. All right. and and we're going to take off from there.
2: Well, since you say that's the only way we can do it, I guess I'll say yes.
1: <laughs> do you have a better idea?
2: Do it randomly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> throw the notes away.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Be a goddamn human being for
1: once. This is from March 26, 1993. This is uh, very, very early on in the song's life. This is what he introduced the song saying.
3: Here comes another
5: song. This is a brand new song from our yet-to-be-determined New record, live album called Get Out of Here, and it's entitled, the song is about a fictitious rock band called Dirk Bike, and how appropriate that the song itself be named Dirk Bike.
2: It's about about a
1: fictitious rock band, but then he changes his story, Dave. I know. It's like an episode of Columbo. It's like, oh, just one more thing. I can't do (laughs) it with Peter Falk. (laughs) Just one more thing, Mr. Flansburg. Holy shit. Is that Peter Falk in front of me? (laughs) Fucking great, Dave. This is a very well-known clip for fans. Here's them on Good Morning America. We actually talked to Brian Darty about this appearance. Mm -hmm. This is what he says on Good Morning America, and this is what I think a lot of they might be Giants super fans like us know about the song.
4: Now you wrote the song "Dirt Bike." Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me real quickly what that's about. Well, I was
5: surprised that they they want us to do the song just because it's it's kind of a a song about a uh, a kid who's sitting in this town and there's this religious cult passing through the uh, the country and he's just kind of thinking about you know be getting swept up in the cult and what that's going to be like.
0: All right. Well, with
3: that, I will leave you to it.
1: So this brings in the cult part of it, which. Uh, so first he says it's about a, a rock band, no mention of a cult. Well,
2: they, could they be one and the same?
1: So then we're gonna keep going. We're gonna blast through these clips. <laughs> all right. It's gonna look funny on my Logic file, a bunch of little clips in a row, but I'll have to deal with it. It's not that funny. <laughs> it's gonna be. I'm gonna be laughing my ass <laughs> off all week. Dave. <laughs> and here's a very weird version of the intro, and this is from October 15th, 94. So this is a way past that other clip. This is like a year and a half later. And maybe he's, it's had time to marinate more. And by the way, I, I should say this. I always say stuff like this. We know that people just say stuff on stage and we're not like trying to uh, interrogate Flansburg. Right. It's uh, not
2: necessarily I, gospel.
1: Yeah, it's just for fun, everyone. Yeah. And, and, but I, do, I think we can piece together what the song's about through these things. Yeah. And I also think maybe he intentionally changes what, what he says it's about because he doesn't want to over-explain things.
0: Thank you very much. Here's the song that-
5: physical object, which appears to be about about a secret cult, and this song is a message to the cult from the band, not this band, but actually another band, but they're using this band as a medium for their message.
1: So I I find that funny how convoluted he just keeps explaining it and it gets more and more like inside out and confusing. Here's another uh, clip like that where he adds a little more to that explanation where he says that it's about – it's a cult that uses uh, a band to say a message. And it's a little – it's getting a little confusing about is Dirt Bike the cult or the band or both. Mm. But uh, (laughs) – Here's, or they also, he also says they're using, this band is using They Might Be Giants to get the message out, it's it's a (laughs) lot of explanations. But here, let's listen to this one. This one's from a few days later.
0: This song is not about a
5: physical object, it's about a religious cult. This song is a, uh, actually it's not a religious cult, it's a, a cultural cult. And this song is a message from a band to the cult, through music, and the band is using our
1: band as a vehicle for their So I have one thing to say about that, which I don't know if this was intentional. Mm-hmm. It, it clicked in my head, the pun vehicle. He's saying they're using mm-hmm. the, the song as a vehicle for a message right. and a dirt bike as a vehicle. So I was like, holy shit. Does, he, does he even know he, he did that on stage? Maybe. And maybe that's, but the thing is, if he does know he did that, then that's kind of like the sort of a hidden pun yeah. under the under the framework of the song here. That it's like, oh, a dirt bike's a vehicle. Like maybe he was. Maybe the idea came to him where he's like, he's like thinking about, oh, like songs being like a vehicle for a, for something and a cult having a message and a yeah. vehicle. He's like, oh, what if it's a vehicle, a dirt bike?
2: I also think it's speaking to the to the larger issue of how mm. people follow musicians
1: as if they as were if they're a cult, a religious awakening let's talk about that like the grateful dead or whatever here's a clip from they might be giants in 1988 yeah 1988. Sure we're going back in time
0: and this is good night this is our last song we'd like to thank all the people who come to every single show and uh, we would also like to thank
5: all the new people in the audience who've never been initiated into the giant cult or the big weirdos No. You know but we have been officially declared a cult by Time
1: magazine. <laughs> it's a cult, band. cult band. I think a cult band have been declared a cult. So uh hmm. so and yeah, I didn't even they, know they about can, that clip. Yeah, they were they <laughs> were that's right. They might be giants consider themselves a cult in that clip. Mm-hmm. Here's more of them with the cult talk and about their audience and themselves. And I really I think there's a lot of this behind the song, in case I'm you're not catching on. Oh, I caught on.
5: It's difficult for us. I mean, I don't, I don't think we're like naturally, uh, you know, we're not like the sexy guys, and we're not like, you know, on some fashion tip or something. So it's, it's it's we're already kind of behind the eight ball in, in the pop music field. You know, those are important factors in being successful at what we're doing. So, um, you know, I think we're just kind of doing our own thing and, and trying to make it as accessible to people because we know that even if we make it accessible to the general public, it's only going to be a certain number of people who are really going to be interested. I guess that's part of it. It's like, you know, there's this notion of like a cult band that like only speaks to its audience, and that's that's all it's about. I mean, I guess you know we're pretty much like the cult band that you know you only have to want to check it out to become a member. you know it's not like there's it's not part of a lifestyle. you know we're we're really we really want everybody to have the opportunity to hear what we're doing. So
1: there they're kind of saying they don't want it to be like a, like a, they're like, it shouldn't need to be a cult band. Though, of course, it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really. I mean, there's definitely the average person will be like, oh, yeah, I like some of their songs. Uh, and I meet people like that all the time when I, talk, mm-hmm. I mention the podcast or I mention I do a podcast and they go, oh, what's it about? And I say they might be giants and they go, ah.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: do you like to mix it up every night or have you we got a do. regular We hit? do, and we, and we will be. We'll, we'll be playing a, a bunch of songs from the new album, but a lot of songs that fans um, will undoubtedly be familiar with. And, and and people who have just a cursory um, knowledge of us, we're going to play. In other words, the songs that were made into videos, and we will also play incredibly obscure
5: songs for those total weirdo cult members of our audience <laughs> who want to hear some very you know obscure album tracks.
1: So Linnell calls their fans weirdo cult members. So let's go through some of the yep. lyrics, and with with all this in mind, we got a we got a, a massive clip dump now. <laughs> What? <laughs> I, what? Everything I
2: you describe is repulsive. <laughs> um,
1: I can't wait for my wedding vows. Yeah. There's a lot I love about this song, and a lot of it is more of an overview, so I don't want to skip ahead too much. But one thing I love is that the first verse, he's saying, beware of the dirt bike. Pretty, it's all there in plain sight. Pretty soon, he turns around on the dirt bike. <laughs> right. It goes to beware of the dirt bike, to all hail the dirt bike, yeah. until he's <laughs> like, I took. I understand. I took it by the hand, and I'm, I'm on the bike now. So- that's one of the creepier Flansburgh lyrics in yeah. my mind uh, about this this brainwashing that happens, and of course he, he uses that term.
2: And it's a well they go to,
1: of course. Yeah,
2: bells are ringing and
1: bell. Yeah, and Lake Monsters has uh, yeah. that. So. And so forth. And, the, yeah. <laughs> and and others. And maybe zero others. Yeah. But so it's such a strange idea. This it's it really to me, this is one of those great songs where like you really see how Flansberg's mind works. And especially with these, he's generous enough on stage to explain some songs, which Linnell doesn't do as much. So that the the cult is the dirt bike or the band is the dirt bike. He's kind of said both things. But in any case, this message is going out. I do think there's some meta commentary about themselves and right. maybe yeah. their fan base. I think there's a lot going on. I, there's maybe the way Flansberg is a fan of, mus- of music mm-hmm. and, and how he thinks of it as cult things. So w- let's talk about this one line in the first verse. I hear they're over their sophomore jinx,
3: mm-hmm.
1: which is like... It's funny cuz without Flansburg's on stage des- uh description of what he th- what he says about you you might not get that it's about a band. Yeah. Right? But that is the clue, you know, he put in that yes. little thing.
2: The Sophomore Jinx is the second album of a band and if they can get past that album and have success after it then they're they have longevity.
1: Yeah. And the sophomore jinx, I think, is, is like, when it's a bad, like, it's sort of yeah. a bad luck, like, uh-oh, like, you're going to put out a shitty album after your big hit album. Right.
2: You have your debut, that has some success, then the next one doesn't do as well, and then you're finished.
1: Yeah. One thing about the lyrics of this song is that they're really, really hard to memorize. I don't know <laughs> if you've ever tried. But, well, uh, I don't have to sing it. So. You don't have to. I notice, you know, Flansburg, he'll once in a while write these list songs that's, like, just a lot of like adjectives or nouns. Yeah. And it's like, I know he can't memorize it because it's really hard yeah. and I don't blame him. But this is a song where when you watch them do it live, he's like already in the third verse <laughs> or instead. <laughs> and you're just like, oh God, I hope I hope it comes through.
2: We could see in the second verse, it's already very culty. All hail philosophy. All hail
1: is a big one. Yeah. You
2: know, it's uh, Im- embarking wisdom on you. All
0: hail the dirt by silence as we gathered round. We saw the on our way. Now it's brainwashing dirt
1: by. The Philosopher thing's interesting is that makes me think of they might be giants and how they're fans. Mm. Cause Linnell's always trying to downplay the the meaningfulness of the lyrics yeah. like he's the opposite of like he doesn't he doesn't boast about how smart their lyrics are he's always like oh it's stream of consciousness don't mm-hmm. don't worry about it cuz fans get really intense about the lyrics like i remember there in the there's this like documentary about john lennon and there's a part where this kind of crazy fan and this definitely has an ominous feel cuz of what happens later in john lennon's life what happened there's a part where this crazy fan Wow, that was very. You should be an actor. (laughs) It appears so. Goddamn trademarks. What was it? (laughs) Goddamn trademarks. It was patents. These patent guys won't get off my hump. There's a part where this fan goes up to his their house. Lennon invites him in. I don't know if this is all for the cameras or what. Mm. But Lennon invites him in, and the guy's saying like he's just freaking out to him about the lyrics in yeah. in Beatles songs and and I am the walrus and stuff and Lenin, and Lennon I was say you almost Lennon. Said <laughs> <laughs> And Lennon, Lenin, <laughs> he's just going like, I'm just having fun with words. Like he's really trying to like yeah. calm him the fuck down. And he's just like, I'm just playing with words. I'm having yeah, fun. Yeah. And you know, we're a we were a rock band. You know, we're not like philosophers or whatever. And so that that makes me think of that all the time.
0: Confuse the songs with your own life. You know? I mean, they might have relevance to your own life, you know, but a lot of things do. So we met, you know, I'm just a guy, man, who writes songs. You know? Yeah, I figured that if we met, I'd know just by reading But know what? You know? It all fits. Anything fits. You know, it's if so you're it. tripping off on some trip, anything fits, you know. Remember the one... Um, you can radiate everything you are. You can penetrate anywhere you go. Yeah, I was just having fun with words. It was a literally a nonsense song. You know, I mean, yeah. Dylan does that. Yeah. Anybody does yeah. it. You know, they just take words and you have you stick them together and and see if they have any meaning. Some of them do. Some of them don't.
1: Speaking of John Lennon. This is one of my favorite uh, points that I thought of about this song this week. Okay, so the next line, he says, silence as we gathered rounds, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, really puts the image of a cult in your head. We saw the word and we're on our way. It clicked in my head that that might be a reference to the Beatles song, The Word. Mm. And I know it's just a, a word and it's, you know, it could be not on purpose, but then I'm like... Let me reread the lyrics to the word. And it's so culty and it's so dirt bike. Oh, really? And yeah, so check this out. This is like crazy.
2: Let's see. Is this a stretch? Maybe. <laughs>
1: So I'm convinced that Flansberg is referencing the word. So here's the lyrics to the word. Tell me this doesn't sound like a cult. Say the word and you'll be free. Say the word and be like me. So this is just like Dirtbike. He goes, in the beginning, I misunderstood, yeah. but now I've got it. The word is good. But the word is love, Jordan. So in Dirtbike, he says, I never thought I'd understand till that yeah. bike took me by the hand. And in the word, he says, in the beginning, I misunderstood. but now, I, And it's almost the same meter. But now I've got it. The word is good. And the word is good is very like religious sounding and, you know, culty. Have you heard the good word? Yeah, exactly.
2: Have you heard the, no, have you heard the good news? The good news, (laughs) yeah. But
1: it's still like they use that kind of shit. I'm here to show everybody the light is another line. So I think Flansburg. Everybody the light. (laughs) I think Flansburg. um, And by the way, I'm I'm guessing, but it really, I was like, holy shit, I think I cracked dirt bike Hmm. uh, with with this is the word thing. Because it's really, I think he's taking pop music history and the idea of pop songs and philosopher, like lyrics, that, and people look up to John Lennon in that way. And I think he's like having fun with it and twisting it around. And I I really think that that understanding part is a reference to the word. I really do.
2: I believe you.
1: I'd bet my socks on it.
2: I I think you think that.
1: Other things I wanted wanted to mention. Let's have a
2: Beatles podcast. So
1: we have to talk about Flansburg's guitar solo which is really cool, really a highlight, kind of has a wah effect. Mm -hmm. Let's listen to it actually. Let's do. I I just had that idea, let's listen to it.
2: You had the idea to listen to the thing we're
1: talking about? (laughs) Yeah.
2: You're a genius.
1: It's, like, it's a simple melody, but the yeah. texture of it is not... He's doing oh, it's groovy, very man. <laughs> interesting things with how he's hitting the strings there because it's doing all these different tones and stuff. The tasty lick. I love that final. <laughs> like I never noticed that really until really listening to the song. It's a great solo. You don't get a lot of Flansburg guitar yeah. solos when they get a band because a lot of lead guitarists does Dan the Miller. stuff. Dan Miller, Jay Sherman Godfrey... Eric Schirmerhorn. So I I love the, I mean, his solos are great. To me, it's really the personality of the band when he does it. That's just a great solo. I love it. Uh, It's great. You know, the whole thing about this song is it's a relaxed sound, which is hard. I mean, it's hard to like pull that off. Like I, I'm really bad at that with my songs. Like every Mm -hmm. time I record a song or something, it's like "Uh, energy. uh, It's like so difficult. And also the vocal, his vocal performance throughout the song is fantastic because there's it's, it's really smooth. intimate, like there, he's not hiding behind loud music. So you hear every little nuance and it, it's great. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's great. I said, this is kind of like the album's piece of dirt, kind of. Huh. It's got like that sort of like, like mellow kind of feel like, oh, wow. Yeah. Soul crushing dirt bike is a great line. And again, I feel like it's even more emphasized with uh, the mellow tone of the song mm. to say soul crushing dirt bike. So there, he's like going back and forth more. He's saying it's bad, but maybe he means soul crushing in a good way. Like you'll be reborn with a new, like it's gonna just kill you, but then you'll be a new person. Maybe his
2: brainwashed uh, self is uh, fighting against it. Yeah, right. Trying to break the spell. The only thing I don't really get about this song uh, is Mm -hmm. why specifically calling the cult or the band or whatever it is dirt bike. Dirt bike. Yeah. I mean, you you had the theory of the pun of vehicle. Yeah, yeah. um, But I'm glad you remember.
1: You paid attention
2: other than that i mean i always thought dirt bike is maybe like something a teenager would have mm. something a little infantile about it like you don't you're not like an adult with a dirt bike you know you'd have a car you know or you'd be
1: <laughs> sure yeah yeah um, unless you're like one of those extreme sports yeah youtube guys
2: so i i mean i don't know maybe dirt bike goes along with like the youthful nature of a band coming it, to your in the town. good morning
1: america clip he says it's about a kid he says it's yeah. about a kid thinking about joining a cult so that, right. that fits with that um it's definitely again a lot of narrators on john henry are teenagers yeah uh, Teen angst. i think that's fits along with it again not intentional and this is yet another song that mentions understanding yeah. not understanding something and now yeah so, yeah, self-propelled dirt bike, I thought the only thing that I thought of for that self-propelled is like they, there's a lot of interviews with them when they joined Electra where they just kind of talk about being in this machine, mm-hmm. you know, and just how it was, had a mind of its own and how and even you know, the song ends with him saying now I ride like Flansburg has said it's been a wild ride being in. they might be giants and just yeah. I, I feel like this is all I feel like it's a very personal song, but it's also about a character and a fictional setting sure. kind of thing.
2: And if you're taken over by a cult at a certain point, you just let go
1: of control. Self, self-propelled, yeah, that's yeah. great. Like you're, you're not, you don't have the free will at yeah. all
2: anymore. And sounds great, actually.
1: <laughs> so that's why people join cults. I'm
2: tired of thinking for myself. Yeah, <laughs> it's too hard. I
1: didn't want to bel- belabor this point, but Belittle I, me, I <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but you it, are. I also wonder, and I don't want to go into details because I don't want to get personal if any of this is inspired by flansberg's brother Mm. and the stuff he's said about that um you could look it up yourself i don't want to get into it but i I feel like this is on flansberg's mind Mm. a little bit (laughs) i love how in the last verse uh you see i never thought i'd understand that part the way he strums the guitar Mm -hmm. is like that's sort of what i was talking about before about the dynamics like he strums it very very softly and then it gets louder and louder you Mm -hmm. know what i mean it's like it's such a great build. The thing is when you do a a quiet or relaxed song like even a little bit of uh, energy, energy was really like whoa. So it's like just he's sh- he's like doing these like down strums or something You're like ding ding, ding ding
2: ding Yeah, it builds an intensity a little bit.
1: It's a yeah, a little bit.
0: Self-propelled dirt bike. you see I never thought I understand
1: I love the ending of the song because it, it really feels like the end of a story. Right. This character's story, either it's over or it's just beginning. But he's in the cult Whoa. now. <laughs> now I ride.
2: And has that tense last note, too. <laughs> dan, dan,
1: dan, dan. Yeah. yeah, it's like, fuck. Yeah, he's, he's in the cult. Another one. Another one's lost uh <laughs> or found. <Yeah. laughs> I don't know. It depends on your position on Colts. Mm. We're going to we we don't get political here, so we yeah. won't say what we think. But yeah, Dirt Bike is a great song. I love it and it, I really think it's it's juggling a lot of complex interesting ideas and and one of my favorite things is and in Flansburg songs do this a lot when there's kind of a minimalism to the lyrics, yet it's extremely uh layered. Yeah, there aren't that many lyrics to it. Yeah, it's repetitive and but There's there's so many things happening here if you choose to go down that path and and look into it.
2: If you're not a stupid idiot. (laughs) Yeah. And you actually do some work.
1: Yeah. Um, Speaking of that last chord, I love the way the next song comes in after that last chord. Yes. It's
2: great sequencing.
1: I don't, yeah, this album sequenced incredible. There's a triple hit right here. But this section is sequenced really, really great. And like,
2: To one, two, three, punch. There
1: must be a musical reason why it sounds so good. Maybe it's a similar key, or maybe it's the next key up or something. I guess we'll never know. And that next song is Destination Moon. Destination Moon. Great song. One thing I, I noted right away, the big drum sound in the beginning. Yes. Great, you know, Brian Darty's great as always, but the, the way it's produced, this huge, huge sound. Big drums, big guitars. Big, 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 big friends.
2: Big, <laughs> big, uh, big laughs. distorted, gated guitars.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was listening again uh, to the separate channels left and right. And so Flansburg's got this really heavy guitar on the right side, I believe. And Linnell's a lot of his the bells sound bells and whistles, bells and whistles. the organs they're they're more towards the left, uh, so it's really got this rock band mix. You know the drums during the verse, like he's doing this hi hat thing,
2: yeah. like really sixteenths or whatever. Yeah,
1: really like fun rhythm. Like everything about the arrangement of the song is is great. Fun
2: song, Jordan.
1: It's fun. It's fancy free. Okay. Well, the first thing we have to talk about is the title. Uh, because that's the yeah. first thing that is there. It's basically assumed that this is a reference to the film Destination Moon. Yeah.
0: It is 10 minutes before takeoff time in the uninhabited desert of White Sands, New Mexico. Tell them to stand by for count off and firing. 59. 58. I could have blown my brains out of gone over Niagara Falls in a barrel or found some other decent
4: way to die. The picture you've been reading about in every important national magazine and newspaper.
2: Now, you watched this film. <laughs> I watched this. And you invited me to watch it. I invited Dave. And I
1: declined. Yeah, Dave said no. I was too tired. Um, but I also said you could just put it on. It's on YouTube for yeah. free. And I didn't and do I that said, either. Well, put it on so that you, you have some opinion on it. Though I guess sometimes you'll have opinions on movies you've never seen anyway.
2: Yeah, uh, <laughs> it sucks. Well, so you saw it. I watched it. So there are two questions One without a TMBG uh, How many tits are in it? <laughs> that third question Three questions Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Separate from TMBG How did you like the movie?
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean
2: it's a 50s sci-fi movie right? It's probably cheaply made Probably
1: looks like shit well, no, it's not that... Uh, it's funny, so... Probably a piece of shit movie. Re- recently, uh, in the in the internet film world, everyone got mad because Tarantino, in an interview, in a podcast, which was a very entertaining podcast, by the way, if you watch the whole thing, at one point, and he said this... He, Tarantino said this before, he mentioned the 50s mm-hmm. as being one of the worst decades in film. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I think he was talking about was American film. This movie, to me, like, kind of was emblematic of what he's referring to which is like a kind of a blandness you know mm. like um it's kind of remind me of the kind of thing you'd see on MST3K where everyone's mm. the dialogue and the characters are very very right there's I not gotcha. a lot of nuance to it. It's called B-movie. Well, I'm going to get into the good things about this movie, too, so I'm not just going to shit Cheaply on this Cheaply
2: made, rushed out um, content. Well, just kind of yeah, like if, now.
1: For me, <laughs> yeah. For me, the my, my problem with the movie, um, i There Chris, was no moon in it. Yeah, they didn't go to the moon ever. No, uh, actually, Kristen really liked it a lot. Uh, but the problem to me was more just like the characters were very boring. There was one like Bugs Bunny kind of jokey Brooklyn guy who was like, yeah. we're going to the moon. It was like very like, we kept rolling our eyes at him because he kept For beating. the
2: people at home, Jordan scratched his forehead yeah. when he did that. Like, the moan?
1: What? <laughs> yeah, I could barely conceive of such a thing. Yeah, so like whenever they had a funny line, he would say it and it'd be kind of like...
2: We call that the comic relief, Jordan.
1: And there'd be a long pause for the audience to yeah. laugh and you know, you know that is. <laughs> but, um... But here's, here's... Three minutes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> They're just waiting around smoking a cigarette. But
1: here's the thing about this movie, um, and I don't want to go too much about the movie because we were talking about the song.
2: I thought it was like a one-sentence answer personally, but I just want to know if you liked it or not.
1: I liked parts of it. Um, yeah. The thing that I, I respected about it, which is what makes it historically interesting, is it's one of the first films, especially American films, to take... Um, It's really trying to not be science fiction. It's trying to be very, very, very educated on what you would have to do to to take a rocket to the moon. And so this is 1950. This is like almost 20 years before we went to the moon. Allegedly. And (laughs) I made jokes already with Kristen. I said during the movie, I was like, do you think this is the same set they used for the moon? Uh. (laughs) So this movie is essentially a crazy time capsule because... All the characters are keep being like, "It's impossible. We can't go to the moon." Oh, yo, know, you must be drinking the funny stuff or whatever. A <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> popular phrase of the fifties. <laughs> <laughs>
1: he's drinking the funny stuff. <laughs> So it's interesting because you're watching it as a modern audience. You're like, well, they did go to the moon a I bunch. Know. And then you're like,
2: imagine what we'll know tomorrow, Jordan.
1: Well, that's the thing is that, and we're saying, like, and today, we, well, there's science fiction movies about things that we might be able to do in aliens. the future. Oh, well, it's about aliens, Mars. I want to say this. The YouTube thumbnail, if you look it up, is very uh, misdirecting, which oh. is that it shows a funny alien thing and i was like that's not going to be in the movie and it's not there's no alien it's it treats no. the moon as a real thing as like it's a barren you know yeah. and it treats the um the science of how it would happen very very realistically and it's kind of thing is the movie it's a very slow 90 minutes but what i admired about it was that it was very detail oriented about like first we have to do this then yeah. we have to do this and
2: Sounds great. Now, uh, now the second question. <laughs> yeah. Does it have anything to do with they might be giants, as far as you can tell?
1: No, I was hoping for some sort of revelation of like, yeah. oh my god, there's General Linnell is in the movie or whatever the <laughs> fuck. But no, there's there's not that there's not much except that it kind of lends weight to, because it's so technical, mm-hmm. uh, you kind of imagine the narrator of the song having a similar mindset of like, these are all the things I'm going to have to do to go to the moon or whatever. Gotcha.
2: But I, there's no one sick in a bed or...
1: No, <laughs> there
2: isn't. No smoking the, guns the, the one. The one.
1: funny guy gets nauseous in the, yeah. in the rocket and he keeps complaining. Well,
2: drinking the funny stuff.
1: He looks exactly like Gilbert Gottfried. I kept <laughs> calling him Gilbert Gottfried. But, oh, there's one part of the movie that's fantastic and you would love this, Dave. When the they, tits that you mentioned? Yeah. There's almost no women in the movie. That's actually kind of interesting. I approve. Um
2: <laughs> They got no place being in pictures. No business being in pictures. Being on
1: the moon. No, uh, there's a long Woody Woodpecker cartoon made yeah. for the movie. Uh, that shows the odd kind of like you know Jurassic Park when they explain yeah. the uh, DNA. Yes, it's the same thing. So I it's a scene where Jurassic he's where Park. he's like, weird. yeah. It was so on TV. There's a scene. I think every everyone's always just watched Jurassic Park, right? Um, <laughs> Maybe they played around Thanksgiving. I don't know. So there's a scene very similar where they're they're like, Let, this cartoon will explain what I'm trying to do to get to the moon. Oh, that's crazy. And I mean, I can
4: even show you a little
1: bit of it. Um, Let's
2: watch some Woody Woodpecker.
1: We
4: have one of Hollywood's best known actors to play for you. All right, Sam.
1: So this was a really cool part. Actually, this was to me, I was like, oh, I'm so glad I watched this because this is a fun right. cartoon. It's uh, obviously, at it's 1950, so the animation's good. So Linnell must have watched or must have had knowledge of this, too. Well, that <laughs> that was a funny thing about watching. And I was like, I kept saying to Kristen, like, John Linnell might not have even watched this. He yeah. might have just referenced the title. Right. So I don't know. He might have watched it as a kid. And I, I could, the thing about the movie is I could see it blowing people's minds. Like, yeah. cause it, it really goes into the science of how it's possible. Well, and Linnell likes science. He likes science. And the movie makes it feel like we can actually do this. And it took, like, 19 more years. But... It really makes Allegedly. it. Allegedly, it, it really makes it feel within our like grasp, mm. and I thought that was an interesting aspect of the movie. Let Let's go into what John Linnell has said that the song "Destination Moon" is about. Sure. This is during the John Henry tour.
2: He said it's about the feasibility
1: of rocket ships <laughs> it's to about the moon. Woody Woodpecker. This is October thirty first, Halloween, nineteen ninety four.
5: Okay, this is a song about being uh, really
0: sick, but you think you're not. It's called "Destination Moon." <laughs>
1: I think that happens to Linnell a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, here's him talking about it in 2003. These are just the only two clips for for wow. that he talks about with uh, this song ever. Um, it's kind of rare to get Linnell explaining what yeah. a song's about, so I always appreciate it.
0: This is a, a super sad song about being incredibly sick and in denial, but it's it just people just think it's a happy song. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Destination Moon.
3: Yeah. Do
1: people think it's a happy song? I, uh, he must be referring to something someone said to him once. Because
2: Well, it sounds happy. Yeah. I mean, that has the classic They Might Be Giants thing of yeah. happy music, sad lyrics.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the narrator is happy yeah. in the song. But the thing is, I think They Might Be Giants fans are in the know that it's a sad Uh, Song. He must be referring to something someone said because I don't. Who thinks it's happy?
2: It makes me happy anyway.
1: So let's go through some of the lyrics in specific because the first verse was actually a little weirder than I than I've had thought of it before because he goes, "There's nobody here who can pick up or has stuff they need to talk about and who won't be now." Checking out when he sings it, it sounds normal, but when yeah, you actually yeah. read it, it's like kind of a strange Maybe he was just
2: putting in some extra syllables
1: Yeah, he does say that he does that a lot yeah. The has stuff They need to talk about thing to me kind of hit on the denial thing like he's shirking his responsibilities mm-hmm. So it's like there's nothing we need to talk about like because for example If there's a grave situation you say like we need to talk about this like the doctors would say to him right uh, or his to his family Like, we need to have a conversation. And he's like, there's no one here who has anything to talk about anything, which I think is like kind of a hint that he's avoiding the serious thing going on,
2: right? Well, he's going to avoid it so much by going to the moon.
1: Yeah, that's that's a distraction. That's how far away he's going to go. During my last breakup, I went to the moon and Mm. I I didn't even think about her once. Makes sense. Yeah, who won't be now checking out. So you do
2: get it. You said it was a little confusing.
1: I'm saying when he sings it, it makes sense. But when you read it laid out, (laughs) it's like a strange, it's like a person like kind of going back and forth in their thinking, which he does a lot in his lyrics. Also, I think there's a pun there when he says he won't be checking out. And checking out is like a slang term for dying. Yeah. But it could also be checking out of a hospital.
2: Yeah. Or checking out of a conversation too.
1: Yeah. Checking out of a conversation, uh, checking out like your doctors check you out. There's like, Checking Out's a great, I have a song called Checking Out that also uses the same uh, pun kind of thing. I didn't think about this song, I swear to God. Mm. So a- yeah. There, allegedly. Yeah. So there's, so Checking Out I think is an interesting yeah. thing that he's using there.
0: Checking out and By rocket to the moon. plane to the rocket. By taxi to the airport. By front door to the taxi. By troll.
1: Then we come to the chorus, and I'm sorry to say, there's a massive number of possible references, if any. Um, there's a lot of things called "rocket to the moon," and I know it's just a phrase, mm-hmm. but the thing is, there are there's some a song. Yeah, well, there's actually several songs.
3: Oh I, boy, I'm Buckle not gonna, in, folks.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not. This is the thing. We we don't have the time like to go through. I'm not gonna play a million things. I'll do a few. So. If this is a reference, it doesn't. And again, I want to say this. It doesn't have to be. Interesting if true. Because Rocket to the Moon is just what you'd say yeah. if you're taking a Rocket to the Moon or want to. So first, and this is on the TMBW, there's a song by Raymond Scott, who they've referenced before, yeah. called By Rocket to the Moon. And and let's listen to that a little bit. It's sort of a lot like what you'd hear on Space Songs, that old educational mm,
2: album. That old chestnut.
1: It's not even a song, really. It's like a, it's a story.
0: All passengers for Moon Rocket Number One report to Elevator Platform. We're going to be passengers on the first rocket to the Moon. We'll live in this rocket for eight days and nights. We're going 250,000 miles into space to circle the Moon and then return to Earth.
1: We're on a mountain near the equator. On the launching field, so it, you know, it goes, it's like this whole process where there's a part where they sing too, but yeah,
2: sounds like that Flansburg song. Oh my god, I'm blanking! Not Blood Boat, it's
1: the one where he's like, That's my apartment to the bubble craft, yeah, it sounds like that, yeah, it's it reminds me of Bloodboat and to the bubble craft, yeah, the very specific genre of <laughs> songs where. A narrator is leading you to a right. some sort of a craft, <laughs> or some sort. Exactly. Um, to take you somewhere. I did good. There's another "Rocket to the Moon" song. This is by Rocket. <laughs> there's that song okay. too. No, there's a 1953 song called "Rocket to the Moon" by Moon Mullican. So he really had his his thing down. Let's <laughs> he listen. He
3: cornered the market. Let's listen
1: to some of that. And Dave, I know you're gonna love this song. It's a very original uh, song.
2: Okay. <laughs>
0: Would you like to ride in my rocket to the moon? Rocket to the moon, rocket, Mr. Moon. Would you like to ride in my rocket to the moon? Rocket to the moon, rocket, Mr. Moon. Give me your answer. (laughs)
2: Let me guess. Rocket to the moon, (laughs) rocket to the moon, rocket
1: to the moon. How many verses? Like 12? Yeah, there's like 30 verses. Okay, cool. So is that a reference? Probably not. We don't know. There's also a Rocket to the Moon was a Disneyland Tomorrowland attraction. And that, you know, gives the. Uh, makes me think of, you know, it's a small world. And mm-hmm. Linnell's referenced Disney like attractions before. Mm-hmm. And maybe that was something he, he went to as a kid. I don't know. So there, it's called Rocket to the Moon. I'll post it on Twitter. I swear. One
4: of the popular
2: attractions here is our simulated rocket trip around the moon. After entering the Disneyland spaceport, visitors may experience the thrills that space travelers of the future will encounter when rocket trips
0: to the moon become a daily routine.
1: Then we've got um, other movies, because Destination Moon is a movie. So a possible one, and I'll thank Chris Stangle here, because I saw he listed all of these in an old news group post that I looked up. Yeah. Uh-huh. 1929 Fritz Lang. It's like a three and a half hour <laughs> silent movie. Uh, I didn't watch this one in preparation. <laughs> Called The Title is Woman in the Moon, but there's an uh, in the U.S. It was released as "By Rocket to the Moon," and that mm. one's a good contender because it has the word "by" yeah. there, where the other ones are just called "Rocket to the Moon." Yeah. But the thing is, the U.S. title "By Rocket to the Moon" seems fairly obscure. Like I could not find a single poster or anything that said that. Really, mm. um, it's it's really generally called "Woman in the Moon," you know, as as far as like the internet at least. So I don't know if he'd be referencing that. Mm. Um, there's a 1953 movie called Catwoman of the Moon. Yeah. Uh, that's very, uh, that has an alternate title also called Rocket to the Moon. And that one's very like for science that, that I heard, I read uh, on Wikipedia, that one started the genre of like astronauts go to another thing and there's yeah, like alien women, yeah. Danger Kip, they want to kill you. They'll take the spaceship and they'll make me go with them. Yeah. Well, how they can Kip. They control me.
0: You'll share man's greatest thrill as you rocket through space to the lost moon city of alluring, ferocious cat women.
4: Theirs is the
0: fevered fury of life without love, goading them to lure men into the den of bloodthirsty moon monsters, driving them to tempt men in the deadly cave of moon gold, flaming into a wild
2: lust to command and destroy the world. That is like that Tracy Morgan sketch.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. They don't look very cat-like. They're wearing black, like, leotards. So there's that one. There's also a 1967 British comedy called Jules Verne's Rocket to the Moon. Okay. Then there's also a book called By Rocket to the Moon by Otto Willie Gale. So it's familiar, territory. Really yeah, I mean, he could have well been referencing trodden. none, some. All. All would be impressive, for even for Linnell. Or maybe he's just like, you know, I already referenced Destination Moon. Um, right. I'll just keep this going, and even Destination Moon, like we don't have it as a fact that that's what he's referencing. Boy, my
2: head's spinning. Let me yeah. tell you.
1: Let's go through some of the lyrics a bit more. It's by rocket yeah. to the moon, by airplane to the rocket. We're going backwards. By we're going backwards from, from the moon. We're going backwards. Yeah, he sound very like Queens or yeah. whatever. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> comes out sometimes. So yeah, um, we're gonna go back. We're going back on the R train. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're gonna change over. We're gonna change uh, the F. We're gonna change to Jamaica. <laughs>
2: Oh, New York humor for you folks out there. Yeah. Oh,
1: right. The thing that I thought was interesting about the chorus... The thing that I thought... (laughs) Was that uh, it's very childlike. It has a limerick kind of feel. It kind of reminds me of the house at the top of the tree, where he's like, first we do this, and that that leads to this, and that leads to this. I don't know exactly what the intent is there about the narrator and his state of denial. Yeah. Um, maybe he's it's hard for him to piece things together. He has to go step by step, right? You know, mm. if you're like, you know, sort with this <laughs> with this podcast, I have all my notes. I'm like, okay, first, let me do this. then mm-hmm. let me do that. Another thought I had about the chorus mm-hmm. is it kind of rem- the the way that things like kind of interlock and lead to the next thing by rocket to the moon, yeah. It kind of reminded me of... So I was looking up what the song is even is. It's called Dem Bones, but it's like the hip bones connected oh, yeah. to the something-something. Yeah. Something. <laughs> sure. And I'm like, is that... does It was that on purpose with the whole medical angle, and he's in mm. a hospital. Uh, do you think could that's be. a reference? Let's could listen be. to, like, the earliest recording I could find. And uh, this version's called Dry Bones. Like
2: the Super Mario villain.
1: I believe this is by the... Uh, this is what the YouTube says. The Fisk Jubilee Singers. And this oh, yeah, is okay. from... Ten million years ago.
3: bone, connected to bone, bone connected to bone, bone connected to
1: Well, that was like the most tense I've ever been listening to a song. just kept going up and up. I don't know. Do you think that possible could be in Linnell's head? It's not. It's It's in the zeitgeist. Yeah, it's not airtight that that's what he could be referencing. No, certainly not. But the more I thought about it, I was like, well, it totally fits on a lot of levels. He's talking about what's connected to his leg is the blanket and what's connected to this and that. Let's talk about the second verse. Uh, thank you for the card with the cartoon nurse. You see, there's nothing wrong with me. You, th- I like this. I always love this sort of wordplay. You think mm-hmm. that's what you think. That's what you think. That's what
2: they all say. He's saying whoever he's talking to... Everyone else that's talking to that
1: person says that this guy's sick. Well, it's like, yeah, it's kind of a game of telephone, which is funny because that's what the chorus is like, the the leading to each thing one by one. I like when he
2: says before I blow you away. Yeah. Because that's also like a rocket. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he means that like literally like the jet will blow you away, but also like I'm going to blow your minds. That I'm actually not sick that i'm not sick i'm gonna do this fit as a fiddle well it's it's the classic i mean honestly his narrator is like no one knows my plan these people who are gonna show everybody that they're not fucking around you know they're gonna prove something it's funny it's also kind of like i should be allowed to think and these kind of very isolated narrators who are very in their own head have something to prove they're kind of them against the world right right yeah no, what? I'm
2: just, as you're saying that, I'm like, ugh, checking boxes uh-huh. <laughs> of my personality, your oh, personality. Oh, yeah. Well,
1: yeah, and probably Linnell's personality yeah. in a way, right? Oh, yeah,
2: totally. Yeah, I Not love... Not necessarily good qualities.
1: <laughs> well, human, though. Human qual Human qualities. Um, human? I, I love the the imagery, though, of the card with the cartoon nurse, because yeah. we've all seen these, like, Hallmark cards or whatever with this, yeah. you know, there's some, like, a joke. Some, some old a- bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a way, um, where it's just you know, like, scowling. like I heard that you're sick, yeah. and then you open it up, and it's like sick of doing your chores, lazy bones. <laughs> uh, that's uh, look, I just, <laughs> I can do better next time. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like that it's so specific. It's a great, it's a great line because he's he's painting the very real uh, scenario yeah. that's a, surrounding him. He says, "There's nothing wrong with me." I wonder if there's a specific card that he thought of. <laughs> <laughs> that is is he saw one day, but I don't I, know.
2: I can see it in my mind's eye.
1: I can too. And the thing of that's the old bitch. The, the thing that's funny is like there is a juxtaposition. Is like when you're in the hospital, which is like a very dark, scary thing, and you get these silly cards that are. You know, almost insultingly like silly and goofy and yeah. or sometimes they're, they're patronizing. Some, yeah, they're deprecating. They're like, oh, I heard you're blah, blah, blah. Well,
2: because what are you going to do? Like, you're definitely going to die. <laughs> like, you can't have a card that says that, you know? Yeah, yeah, You yeah. kind of have to take it lightly.
1: And it also makes me think of the the old story Linnell told about the, the first time him and Flansburg interacted is that oh, Lin, yeah. Linnell, uh, he lost his spleen in an accident as a kid and Flansburg, he said no
2: spleen, Gene
1: he's, He says Flansburg uh, wrote a mean thing on the card <laughs> That the whole class had to fill out Which I think is like I don't know if that's a true story But it's hilarious And I could totally see Flansburg doing that
3: yeah.
1: Let's swing on over to the bridge of this song Which is a lot to uh, take in A lot to discuss mm-hmm. It's a great bridge Let's listen to it first Tip-top It's a tip-top bridge
0: So the man who's- Brings a secret telegram,
1: okay, so the, the bridge is, is these two parts, and I have a lot to say about both parts. The first thing, I just want a personal story. I, used to, I misunderstood the, the lyric, the intent of the lyric for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And it, very embarrassingly, I even based a whole uh, art project I did on a misunderstood
3: lyric. Whoa. Okay, so when... Excuse
1: me while I kiss this guy? Yeah. No, and I understood the words. it's more is about what he meant. So when he says, soon the man who sweeps the room mm-hmm. brings a secret telegram, you know, what he's saying is the janitor, right? Yeah. In the hospital
2: would you think it was like um, the FBI or something the
1: sweeps no i i wasn't uh, this was when i'm i'm talking about when i was 14 13 14 no 13 is when i drew the art thing i was imagining cuz i was a very i was a very artistic uh kid i was imagining sweeps the A man who sweeps the room in this kind of surreal shadow way oh. like kind of like his his figure is just like kind of brushing across the room and and so in I am
2: trying too hard.
1: In, no, but it's just how I naturally thought of it. I didn't know what he was saying. So in, in summer camp, I took like this art class and I drew a whole tribute to this where I drew like from the point of view of, of the person in bed. So it's like their feet in the bed and a hospital. And I drew like this person's shadow moving across the right. room. And it's really cool, but that's not at but all. Incorrect. At some point it hit me. I was like, oh, the janitor. Another failure. So I don't know what. What do you think of the bridge, uh, Dave? I was just saying when you were playing it, how did he do it? <laughs> like the arrangement? Yeah, the
2: playing. I don't know if the A playing crazy the, harpsichord. Is he playing in the first part in real time? Do you think, <laughs> or is that process? Obviously, he, he the might have sped part. that up. Yeah, yeah, who knows?
1: Right? I, I don't know. I, I, I bet he can, I bet he can do it. Sure, but it's a little too. It's exact. Yeah, yeah. it's it's very. Perfect. Um, it's, it's like in my life, the Beatles. That there's the part with the harpsichord yeah. that they sp- or it's it's a piano or whatever, but they sped it up later so mm. that it's more Bach. It's like Bach or whatever, right? right? It's great. It's intricate. Uh, it's. Ah, it's a great, it's what a bridge, you know, I always like, a bridge should surprise you, give you a chance to do a new thing in the song.
2: Elevate things.
1: Yeah, and because John Henry is so rock band oriented, it's nice to get some of that old fashioned like synths and stuff in that song. Uh, Well, he says, commence official interplanetary exploration, you know, and like a little memo. Uh, It really is like an old movie kind of, I I really see it like that. Well, before we move on, what what do
2: you think that is? Is he like hallucinating obviously no one's giving him that memo that's
1: yeah that's the funny thing i mean we all you know it's fun when there's uh, or
2: sorry or he is a reliable narrator and this whole time everyone's like oh you're sick he's like no i'm like going to the moon nobody understands me again understanding
1: yeah i mean there's always that thing like oh am i is he hallucinating or is there really a thing in am
2: i a butterfly dreaming i'm a man or am i a man (laughs) dreaming i'm a butterfly yeah (laughs) look it up people yeah get some culture
1: no, I, yeah, it's funny. There, there must be a guy sweeping and there, there, yeah. there's probably nothing he's in happened, on it. but maybe he's fucking with him. You ever see, uh, the Scorsese movie, uh, Shutter Island, Shutter Island kind of reminds me of Shutter Island.
2: Yeah. I never saw it.
1: Do you think it reminds you of Shutter Island? Email us. Oh, nice. <laughs> don't let's, I just forgot at don't let's start podcast at no, gmail.com. You're a pro. Don't let's start podcast. Sorry. Did I talk over the fucking You did. <laughs> That's list? why I said it twice. Email us at don'tletstartpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. About any old thing. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the second part of the bridge because uh, I I want to take us on a little journey here a little bit. We get this... In the blood boat. <laughs> we, we get what I can only call like a 60s yeah. psychedelic freakout. Before you came over today, Dave, the, one of the last little tasks I had for myself for the show, I was like, can I find some songs that he's, that they're emulating? Because it's such a specific sound.
2: It's like that, it's a feel like it's a song about candy, no matter what it is.
1: <laughs> here's here's a few I found. One, it made me think of like the the Adam West Batman, mm-hmm. like basically when this part of the bridge happens with the guitar part, I imagine just like... I I imagine a a tilted camera and a Mm -hmm. bunch of '60s people dancing in -hmm. a a cheap set with like very colorful clothes. It kind of reminds me of this, the Batusi scene from Batman.
4: What's your name? Molly.
2: You interest me strangely. I accept your invitation.
1: Dave is enraptured by this footage. (laughs) So it reminds me of like the kind of vibe. It's got the same tempo. It's like the chord changes or something. Like what is that vibe? I was looking up different like '60s party like movie kind of songs. It really reminded me. There's a song called "Pajama Party" from 1964, the movie "Pajama Party." They made a movie of this concept. Yeah, and so check check out like the instrumental section. This really sounded like "Destination Moon" to me.
0: So gather round where the is found pajama party
3: tonight just after eight we'll congregate pajama party tonight
1: so song sucks <laughs> But you know what I mean though that kind of like it's very similar and it's I think there are a lot of these songs do that kind of bubblegum horse shit No I mean like the 60s kind of like it's a mix of surf and pop and stuff right, right? The other thing that's made me think of is, and it's interesting because they're both doing a, the reference. You know that Austin Powers Madonna song, "Beautiful yeah. Stranger." That's a good song. That's a great song. I, was I gonna don't say. give a shit what anyone says. So, it, uh, here we go. It's though. One of her most melodic songs. It's incredible. Yeah. But like, listen, because she's doing the same reference point, I think, which is that '60s Austin Powers, yeah. '60s party. Um, like, just listen to this part of the song. I
2: can't believe we're playing this.
0: A
1: Like so, what what is Song's that So amazing. So here is my question: Is it the chord progression? Like, what what yeah, unites? Yeah, some kind
2: of major, you know.
1: What unites these things is there's something music. A, a little off. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> there's something a little off, and it's the it's the vibe. It's kind of the vibe, really, because that destination moon part, like they're very specifically going for that. And here's the funny thing, though, about beautiful stranger. Not to get too sidetracked, but this also ties to that bridge. Beautiful stranger, people kind of theorize is a takeoff on this song by the band love called this is a dirty title she comes in colors and uh how's that dirty <laughs> listen so listen to this because this this reminds me of both parts of the bridge of destination moon 1966 she comes in colors
0: my love she comes in colors you can tell her from the clothes she wears
2: Oh, wow.
1: So it's That's it has similar. the harpsichord, and it has that freak-out yeah. feel. It's a good song. So, But it's funny, because that has the harpsichord, too, and it has the thing. It's like it combines the, the bridge. You did it. I did it. Here's where's my your metal. Where's my metal? You, <laughs> you so was, the case. We, we thought of the same exact thing. <laughs> so we have to talk about the final uh, <laughs> chorus refrain, yeah. of course. I almost forgot. Linnell puts yeah, things Yeah, I, I got trapped
2: in the 60s every minute. Yeah, I
1: know. I mean, I, do you th- what do you think that has to... Because the movie Destination Moon is from 1950, yeah, like what's, it's all old. Just all <laughs> he putting yeah. it all in the same 50s, 60s. It yeah, make a it's kind of an interesting blend. I mean, look, there's no rules. He doesn't have to only make 50s references because of the title. I just mean like it's it's interesting way to like way to do that, you know. Yeah. So he puts things into stark perspective in the end. Kind of a bummer. Crawl to the rocket, coughing, limping. The yeah. older I get, the more I get these uh, <laughs> lyrics. Throwing back the blanket, hanging down the withered leg. It's funny because Montana is a similar song, and it's right. all about a leg. And this song ends with the word leg. He's got a thing with legs. Something He's a leg a, man. <laughs> well, s- something about being in the hospital and focusing on your leg. Well, probably because of those gowns, right? The gowns, that's true. Yeah,
2: you're you're you gonna say those gams. Those <laughs> the hospital gowns, which really take your
1: dignity away. Uh, I I know. Well, I wonder. They focus on it, the legs. Well, it's funny because Linnell he broke his wrist in a bike accident, but mm-hmm. I think his legs were fine. But he definitely there's something going on in there. I don't know. I yeah, think you're any, right about the gown. That's anytime you
2: get like any kind of procedure done, they put you in those paper gowns. Oh, I know. So, I know. So you know. <laughs> I wear one every night, baby. Yeah. Can't get over it.
1: But yeah, so Linnell, he he definitely tips his tips his hand here. Right, uh, is that the phrase? T- Could be. Shows his hand, and it's you know it's a great ending. It's sad. In case like you couldn't tell what was going on, Linnell's done a few songs like this, uh, e- Echnambula or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know the right way to say that one. Yeah. It's honestly a sequel to, to "Destination Moon" in a way, but it's also one of my favorites because uh, I just love I love the concept of the. It's a sad dying person who's. Yeah. Maybe he's not dying. He could be okay. I mean, look, things could turn around for him in the hospital, right? You never know. Do you think this is one of the car accident victims from one of the other (laughs) songs? I mean, you could really make a whole story with John Henry.
2: I think, well, he goes to the sickness well a lot. Yeah. Well, it ties in with the whole mortality, larger concepts that they might be giants do all the time.
1: Exactly. Death and and your body failing you. Sickness,
2: decay. Yeah.
1: The the children's band. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, Destination Moon, one of the best songs. Yeah, if not the it best. Rocks. Oh, we. You know what? The one thing I forgot to talk about. I love Flansburg's guitar part in the chorus. It's like do 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 do. You know, it's like he's doing this really great, a sim- similar '60s kind of jangly mm-hmm. guitar riff, and and it really like brings brings the song alive. I wonder if Flansburg wrote that part, mm-hmm. or it was in Linnell's one of his demos or something. But it really, really adds to the like 60s feel and one weird theory I have is like the 60s thing always feels more Flansburg to me mm-hmm. so it's like maybe Flansburg brought that angle to the bridge and to the right. arrangement you know maybe yeah. it, well, that wasn't in the original idea I don't know
2: no one does I, no one I don't know it's plan. just a theory
1: I, exactly I hope people know that I, I assume my theories are not always uh, correct <laughs> <laughs> nervous laughter <laughs>
0: To the rocket By coughing at the airport By limping to the taxi By throwing back the blanket Hanging down the withered
1: land But that was Destination Moon I, I gotta say, let's let's go full speed ahead To the next track called A Self
2: Called Nowhere I'm
0: sitting on the curb Of the empty Parking lot of the star where they let me play the organ. I'm waiting for my ride, but I want to wait inside the star where they let me play the organ.
1: But this is one of the most, I mean, I, I'm going to go out on a limb. This is one of the most like interesting songs Linnell's ever written, like musically. Yeah. Cause I, I actually looked up the chords cause I was like, what is yeah. this? And it's, you know, Linnell does a lot of catchy, poppy kind of chord progressions, but this one is like very, uh, I don't know if sophisticated is the word, but it's, it's,
2: are a lot of the chords augmented? I don't know. Seems like augmented. augmented yeah, chords I see what a, you're saying. I don't know anything about music theory.
1: I, I do want to check the, this out a little because, yeah, we're not—we're both not like super advanced m- musically, but we we know our way around a, a few instruments. Yeah, it's in—it's this—it's in G minor, and the. D seventh, B F flat, seven. C, yeah, it's C minor, and it, and then it kind of goes to A minor, which I think is weird when your song starts on a G minor, and then the next part goes to A minor, and Jesus, the chorus is E flat minor. It's crazy. How That must have... It's hard to play on guitar. I feel bad for <laughs> Flansburg. It, it's, again, one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, I think it's, a, it's kind of a towering achievement in my mind, because mm-hmm. it's just so... It's, like, it's not what you'd expect from them. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It has a tone and a vibe mm-hmm. that's kind of unlike anything else they've ever done.
2: It's almost like, a I don't know, a fucking Kubrick movie or something. Like- yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it's funny. I, the way <laughs> the musical uh, reference point, I, I think of like this song it, in more ways than one, it, it well, one, it reminds me very much of the time, the '90s, the way the grunge feel—not mm-hmm. that it's grunge, but it's—it's it's got that kind of dissonant feel of, of and the kind of tone to me of grunge, and it, it, it kind of reminds me of Black Hole Sun, huh. You know, like and and both and thematically too. it's really like a song that's like very much built on like surrealism and abstraction and and i don't i don't know exactly what the hell we're gonna say uh Uh, about what it's about i he's never talked about the song i'm kind of glad he hasn't but I, i wouldn't i wouldn't say no I wouldn't kick it out of bed if he did. <laughs> I um, feel like
2: this song is just about, like you said for the last one, it's just about a vibe, man. It's about a
1: vibe. Um, well, I'll say this. This just occurred to me a mi- uh, minute ago. You know, you've, we've got all these narrators in these other songs who are like, it's like them against the world. It's like they only know their plan. They only know that they're going to go to the moon. Mm-hmm. This one is like the narrator doesn't even know himself because mm. there's like nothing there because he's a self-called nowhere. It's yeah. He's a void. You know, and you, you know, it's a spooky song, it's man. a spooky, uh, like existential song. Right. But then, because of Linnell's like sense of humor and songwriting, it's hard to know is like, is he parodying that idea? Like, is yeah. is the song is it kind of tongue in cheek? Well, the thing Boston like,
2: accent would back up that claim. Like, <laughs> that, is this like a dumb Boston guy trying to be
1: deep? Yeah, well, let's talk about that. Here, I'll play you this clip. This is from a, a live show in 1997,
0: Dave. The sun is hot. the sun is so hot. And every
1: single one It is a gas, <laughs> aluminum, copper, iron, and many others. <laughs> copper. <laughs> when I was listening to shows, I'm like, okay, we've got to talk about that one. In, in terms of the Boston accent, they, yeah. they talk a little bit about that in this clip, in this uh, interview with WICB. I
2: do want to ask a little bit about your own home experience. So, Says that you are from Lincoln, Massachusetts. Perfect. I just want to ask because I'm from the North Shore. So I just thought that was super cool. I don't know.
1: You mean if, I think you mean the North Shore.
2: Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes.
1: So yeah, they're from near Boston. They're not from Boston, yeah. but they're from around Boston. Well, it's a Massachusetts New the, England. The Massachusetts thing. Accent. Someone uh on the old on the news group, uh, and this is <laughs> his screen name is Poppy Fruitmonger. Uh, hello cool. to you if you're listening out there. Uh, hopefully you're doing all right. But this, so, <laughs> this is in 1998, and it's funny because he, I found what he said to be like kind of a weird uh, contradiction. But this is, this is what this person said, and I, and I don't know if this is true, but I thought it was interesting. Because he goes, here's my interp for a self-called nowhere. It means nothing. I think they basically took a bunch of words that residents of Boston... Revere and Brookline too butcher on a regular basis, i.e. Oregon Car Garage, and made them into lyrics to a song. The self called Nowhere would probably refer to the collective group of people that live in Nowheresville, aka South Boston. It used to be a derogatory name to mm. that part of the city, but was taken up by the residents. So I don't know if this person's telling the truth, yeah. but if he's saying that South Boston, that the residents call it Nowhereville, that to me, like, figures the song out well, in a pretty very big way, right?
2: Specific Boston lore. Yes. That we cannot confirm.
1: And Nowheresville or deny. Is, a, is a common term because when I actually Googled this, a lot of places call are called yeah. Nowheresville, USA, and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's like a bumblefuck, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A self called bumblefuck. Yeah. Not quite That's the my same. My autobiography. Ring. But I, I thought this was, it's funny because yeah. he, my, why I thought it was contradictory is because he says it means nothing, but then he,
2: Gave Deliver- it a meeting. <laughs> he
1: delivers this fantastic, yeah. uh, possible reference point, which is like what we're trying to do on this show all the time. So I thought that was really fascinating. And it was on the uh, Q and a, on the website, they asked Flansburg, uh, someone on Tumblr asked Flansburg, what accent are, are you channeling in a self-call nowhere? And he says, that's John Linnell giving you a standard issue, suburban Boston accent. Hmm. So it's definitely, you know, confirmed, but, um, the, the, the lyrics i'm a little scared to talk about the lyrics mm-hmm. but before we do that here we'll, we'll mention we'll mention uh, the first verse he's just with uh singing with a guitar mm-hmm. and Flansburgh did talk about this guitar a little bit actually because he he also says he used it on sleeping the flowers but he says gibson montana very kindly built a left-handed l1 acoustic model for me for the john henry recordings and can be heard on self-called nowhere and on sleeping the flowers
2: they have a similar tone
1: yeah that's right and it's it has a really interesting unique yeah. tone I'd Almost, yeah. I actually made a note to myself that the chord progressions almost are kind of Frank Blackie, where hmm. it's just this really like inspired, weird, like you just don't hear it in other yeah. songs, and that's hard to do because at it least is. everything's been written.
2: Yeah,
1: um, it kind of reminds me of Why Must I Be Sad has an interesting chord regression. I mean, all a, a lot of Linnell's songs on this album really feel like the same world to me. Sitting on the Curb, okay. Well, yeah. you know the lyrics, sing it with us. It's kind of a mundane non-story. Yeah. He's just sitting around waiting for his ride mm-hmm. in front of, I guess, a music store right. where they, they let him play an organ. And he's like, I'd rather wait inside and, you know, I guess maybe play the organ
2: more. Yeah. I mean, it's such a strange... Um, well, I think they were picking those words, Sure, like I said, just because it emphasizes the uh, accent.
1: Yes. It's, but is that all? The, is it the only reason? I mean, that's I a weird I think thing. so, personally. Well, so... So the next part goes, I'm thinking of a wooden chair in the room at the top of the stair. <laughs> I'm looking down
2: the stairway. That's very limericky.
1: Well, here's the thing. you're right. It's kind of like by rocket to the moon, but um, yeah, we're going somewhere up the stairs. Here's the thing. Um, I don't again, I say this all the time, so maybe it's not true. I don't normally look at the interpretations on the wiki. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't for any other song except for this one in this episode. And that other one. And that other one, because uh, I do it for the particularly tricky songs, because yeah. I'm like, give me something. We gotta fill the fucking show up. <laughs> yeah. Someone, um, and I don't think they they signed it with the name, and you know Dr. I, I want to credit them. They had a fantastic uh, interpretation that I thought was really, really um, smart and possible. He thinks that this section is talking about inside a church because of a church organ.
3: Because mm-hmm.
1: he's saying, I'm thinking of a wooden chair. A pew. In a room at the top of the stairs. Because you know how you go in a church and the organ is in this like second tier?
2: Yeah, it's on top.
1: And and he's looking down the stairs. So I'm like, oh my God, is that it? Is mm. this in a church? That could be. I mean, it might just also be just the stairs in a, a room. A Yeah. But I mean, I thought that was Sorry, like
2: that was more Australian,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Chech. <laughs> right, yeah. So I, I thought that was like a r- really interesting idea. And I wish I thought of it. I that mean, makes it would me go mad with that the
2: existential questioning of what everything is in your in yourself. I don't know how to talk anymore after like <laughs> the accent in this song. Yeah. And <laughs>
1: <laughs> after the opening. There's this huge drum hit yeah. again. It's sort of the second song in a row with big reverby drums. And God, it rocks, this this chorus rocks so hard that it's- So hard. It's like, it's it's one of the most intense They Might Be Giant songs. And
2: all the horns come in.
1: To break down a bit uh, what's going on, so the, you, you've you got a Barry saxophone in the right side that Linnell's playing. I believe under the Barry Sachs, Flansburg is just kind of going fucking crazy on a guitar. Cause you just hear noise. Like all you hear is kind of like, <clears throat> you know, um, or it could be a synth, but I think it's a guitar on the left side. You've got a similar, the same part as the Barry Sachs, but here's the thing. And you, you could listen for this. I think it might be either Flansburg doing it on guitar, like the low notes or some sort of synth. Cause it doesn't have the same texture, but it's like, duh, duh, duh. Mm-hmm. but it's like, I've never noticed it before. I'm like, it, your your ears are surrounded by this part, but I think, in, I think it's only a saxophone in one of them. But I'm thinking
0: of a wooden chair In the room at the top of a stair And I'm looking down the stairwell At the vanishing dawn On the map of the spot Let me take you there The dotted lines you can't the
1: uh the other thing with the this song this song <laughs> fuck It'll, it'll get you. Oh my God. We're, we're like, it's like a fucking werewolf. We're like <laughs> turning into the Boston guys. Uh, the, it has the horn section, but what I noticed the trumpet is doing like one note the whole time. Hmm. It's just going like, da, 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 yeah. like the whole song. It's like the easiest trumpet part ever, but it works really well. Hmm. You know, Dave, me and Stephen Bernstein, hey. we talked a little bit, we talked a little bit about okay. the horn playing in this song. <laughs> well, we, we we had a very brief conversation about yeah. five different songs. Let's listen to what Stephen Bernstein has to say about playing trumpet on this song, and you'll find out he's a big fan of this song, as are we all. Cool. So say we all. All right. Here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> The other song we talk about is a self called "Nowhere."
4: Oh, I love that song. Oh, really? I just remember I loved playing that song on on the road and stuff. This is one of my, the songs I really liked. A self called "Nowhere." It gets into it's almost like a Nirvana tune. And we were talking about Nirvana. Uh, we talked about that on the show already, actually. Right? Yeah. But then the way we play the horn parts on that, yeah. I'm again, anyone's guys, like, ah, it's horn parts. But me, I'm like, no, I'm like one of the guys. That's how I would play it, like a very, almost like a Sly Stone. Or like the Count Basie band just grooving, like even though the band is hitting like a Nirvana thing, mm-hmm. we're not playing hard, man. We're playing, we're swinging over it. Mm-hmm. And again, no one else is hearing this but me. And <laughs> I had because I hadn't heard it in so long. I'm going, oh man, all this is hip, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all <laughs> hip. Everything has some really hip stuff on it. Just that you can really hear it's the, the Nirvana era when you hear that song. Yes,
1: yes, I agree.
4: We're swing, we're swinging the horns over this real heavy Nirvana thing. So again, it was like. Oh, cool, man. I remember doing this like this is something something conscious that we did. like mm-hmm. cool musical thing we we did,
1: thank you again, Stephen. And check out the next episode. We talked to Stephen about thermostat. We talked to Stephen about stomp box. And that's that's it. That's it? Um, <laughs> but anyway, talking more about the arrangement of the song, mm-hmm. which is head spinning, yeah, The instrumental section after the chorus is great because you get some really great Flansburg shredding on the guitar. And if you really listen to it, especially if you like mute the other uh, headphone, it's like fantastic. It's really cool. The bass line does these great fills, which I'm sure you know, like you do 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 Absolutely. Uh, it's also Graham Maybe again on bass doing a great job. I mean, this is not an easy song, I imagine, to <laughs> like, it's Probably just not. It's such a crazy a chord progression. Yeah. yeah. We talked to Brian Doherty, the fills yeah. he's doing. He said, and maybe I'll put a clip on YouTube because I did that with the other songs, but I love what he said about this, which is that he was really, really inspired. Like they he was really, really proud of what he did in this song. Yeah. I can you can hear it in the song, you know, it's like he's just, it just rocks so much, yeah. you know.
2: And it fits the song really mm-hmm. well. Yes. He's not just playing a beat, you know.
1: Yeah, it's like really loose and intense. And well that, I mean, Paul Fox producing it, that sound, the drum sounds incredible. And there's so much going on in the mix. There's like guitars and horns and organ and like you, but everything comes, you know, that drum still cut through like that. Speaking of Boston, have you been to Boston? Oh
2: yeah, many times. Is
1: it really like that there?
2: Well, there's different parts. It's a really weird mixture of incredibly historic, yeah, Um, very important American <laughs> history and college. Town. Yeah,
1: college town. Yeah,
2: because there's so many college. I mean, you know, both. I, are. I went there twice. So there is like the frat guy thing with like the Revolutionary War thing. <laughs> so yeah, it's, um, it's very weird. I didn't hear the accent that much.
1: Yeah, I didn't either when I was there. Frank.
2: A big drinking place.
1: Uh, when I went with friends from college, the cliche is that Boston is really racist, mm-hmm. and uh, it was right away. Oh, uh, we came out but of that the, was from you. We, yeah, I brought it to Boston. Yeah. I started the trend. When we came out of the subway, um, there was this guy asking for change. He was like, "Change, spare change." And when we like walked past him and ignored him, or, or maybe we just said no. The guy yelled out a slur at my Asian friend. What slur was it? And then, um, <laughs> my this was amazing. My Asian friend said back, really like right away." He goes, "Change comes from within." Whoa! <laughs> and it was really fucking awesome. It was one of like the coolest things I've ever witnessed. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's my Boston story. That's all I remember happening. Yeah. So, the vanishing dot on the tape. <laughs> do you have any? Do you have any idea what's what? what, what uh, you know, it reminds
2: me of a treasure
1: map. It kind of does. Um, yeah, Vanishing Dot on the map of the spot. Let me take you there. Def- definitely. And it's kind of cartoony, yeah. the dotted line, but it's surrounding the mind. That kind of oh. reminds me of like when you, in a cartoon or something, when they like saw off their head or something, you get the like the cartoons little- Cartoons are you watching? The dotted line. No, you know what I mean? Like there's a dotted uh, line yeah. along this the head. The, I, I think of that. Of a self called nowhere. I'll say this that person who thought of the church idea on TMEW had a fucking great idea for this too. We should just
2: get them to do this show.
1: I know. I was actually really jealous. That's why I don't look at the interpretations because it makes me jealous, but it's valuable to do so if I'm lost. He interpreted that as a music staff. Like this is this musician who plays organ, Mm -hmm. maybe in a church. The dotted line is like the lines on a mute and the spots. On the music staff, like those black circles. Maybe. Right? You know what I'm saying?
2: It's not a dotted line though.
1: But it's a line with a bunch of dots on it. Right. So it's a way, it's like a wordplay of of saying it. So I thought that was really fascinating. Um What about the thing named Yeah? So let's move, let's go to that.
2: Bottomless pit could be hell.
1: Yeah. It could be. Do you think that's what's going on there? I don't know what's going on. I I see it almost more metaphorical, like because he's saying he's he's nothing, yeah. he doesn't exist. Ain't we all? So it's like he's a bottomless pit thing named it. And actually, another person on the wiki had a fascinating um, wasn't so much an interpretation of the of the song, but it was like kind of a backdrop where he's like he he said it's very Lovecraftian.
2: Mm, and it's true. In what, in what way?
1: So, um, in two ways, which is that Lovecraft is from the Boston area, and that uh, is there's a, it's in a lot of his stories. Hmm. But on the other sense, he does a lot of things about unnamable horrors that are like so. The yeah. thing named it in a bottomless pit is really a Lovecraft kind of line. Okay. Because he he the con the constant thing in his thing is the narrator like just can't describe what he's sure, seeing, yeah. and it's funny because I saw someone. Criticize that being like, oh, like, describe it. It was like, no, that's the point is your, what's left your imagination is scarier. So yeah. it'll just be like, I cannot begin to tell you the thing that sure. I saw. And it's actually, it genuinely works. It's freaking creepy. So like, I wonder if that, so someone thought like, oh, maybe Linnell was, had Lovecraft in mind doing this song or maybe it's just coincidence. I don't know, or whatever. Yeah. Or not even Who coincidence, knows? but it's just like works for it. The sunken head that lies in the bed of a self-called nowhere is like a very, um, there's a lot going on there, too, I feel like. Because, I mean, it kind of makes you think of a de- depression kind of thing mm-hmm. where you're just like your head's kind of, you know, in your bed. You're just like yeah. not getting up. But I always thought of like a, I don't know, because of sunken, I think of like a water bed. I was
2: disturbed. I thought the actual head was like sunken in, which is like gross. <laughs> oh, like it is.
1: Well, yeah, well, that's well, that's uh, possible, too, because he's saying he's, he's, no, he's like a vanishing, I don't know if he is, so, like, this song is kind of, like, keeps having different ways of conveying the idea of, like, this empty... Yeah. This is why I said it reminds me of Black Hole Sun, because that's what Black Hole Sun is kind of about, too. Maybe
2: it is just a song trying to describe depression.
1: Depression, or... Yeah, a few people said that on the wiki. Sorry, I'm not the first one to say it. Someone on the news group a long time ago said this, and I had to quote it because it was just perfect way to say it. He's like, He says, the or this person says... The chorus is like a vortex pulling yeah. you deeper and deeper into some black hole. Yeah. And Jay Hulvey wrote that many, many years ago on the newsgroup. I was like, that nails it.
2: This song is basically a Charles Burns comic.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: Standing in my yard where they draw down the garage to make room for the time.
1: Standing in my yard, this sort of has the same thing where they tore down the garage to make room for the torn down garage. It's still the idea of there is something missing here. Mm -hmm. You know, this is just a place where there's there's nothing. (laughs) Am I making? I know this is going to get kind of abstract.
2: Well, and a lot of it is uh, very emblematic of Linnell doing the cyclical riddle like.
1: Yes. um, Yeah.
2: Snake eating its own tail lyrics.
1: Mm hmm. I'm looking for my car. <laughs> I'm trying to sing it and say it normally. I'm
2: looking for my car, but I must have sold my car. Yeah, when I needed to buy an electric. Organ. So
1: what fascinates me about that line is that he's not sure if he sold his car. Yeah. So he has some sort of a brain problem <laughs> situation. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, is that because he's does he's his brain isn't there?
2: It's because the elder ones have taken over his brain or exactly, whatever. Exactly.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's it. And again. Is this all just satire? He's saying these people are empty-headed dummies or right. something. Is this like uh, I should be allowed to think or where he's just making fun of people? Or is there a, a, or like you said, is it about depression? Is there a deeper emotional idea there? His songs are like hard to tell. It's really hard to tell like this, how sincere or mm-hmm. satirical they are.
2: Here's a question. Yeah, yeah, please. Would this song have a totally different meaning if you took the Boston accent away?
1: You know, I, I don't know if it would because I didn't get that it was a Boston accent yeah. for a very long time. I mean, I didn't know. The
2: accent kind of undercuts how serious, you know, the if, if there were deeper meanings in it, you can't get to them because of that accent.
1: <laughs> yeah, a it's like a, a lot of their songs have that thing where there's they're distracting you with some weird things yeah. in the arrangement. Uh, but it's covering up like a very, very complex. Um,
2: maybe this is actually a very personal song that had yeah. to have some distance put on it by putting the accent on it.
1: I'd be so curious if he ever said anything about this song. Like I, the fact I, that he looked, hasn't
2: said anything about it maybe yeah. supports that argument. I don't know.
1: Yeah, and you know, I looked everywhere. Like I, I just he never. There's like nothing Did I could you look find.
2: Right behind you. Uh,
1: <laughs> um, I wanted to point out a, a really amazing. Uh, musical thing from Flansburg here and I'll do the same I'll do that trick again because the second chorus Flansburg goes fucking crazy on the guitar and I never really listened to it until I cut out the the other stereo side and it's freaking awesome and I want to share that with you Dave thank you Yeah, I, I never noticed what he's mm-hmm. doing, and it's that perfect uh, wonky Flansburg stuff yeah. where he's just, it doesn't quite make sense. There's some weird stops. like, blah, blah, uh-huh. <laughs> but I love it. I never noticed it before. It's great. I mean, I definitely must have noticed it on some sort of subconscious level as like part of the uh, the whole crazy sound yeah. at the end, but I never listened to it, you know?
2: And the huge, what what do, what do you call that uh, effect? Flange. That, that yeah, flange over the whole end Makes you sweep up into it. It a, folds in on itself like a vanishing dot.
1: Yeah, exactly. yeah, I mean, yeah, the effects used, and John Henry doesn't have a lot of overt mm-hmm. effects. The reason I love this song, especially, and maybe even stuff like Dirt Bike, is like they know exactly what they're going for with, mm-hmm. with these songs. And like this is one where it's like, it's not, it's a specific mood, but it's not something you could really describe easily. But it's almost like, uh, you know what I mean? It's like when you see a movie where you're just like, oh, I love the mood of that. But like, yeah. it's not a genre. It's not mm-hmm. horror. It's not whatever. You're just like, it's that kind of movie that I yeah. love.
2: It's a self-called nowhere.
1: Yeah. Oh, and the other thing I love about the end of the song, because it's like kind of a an audio pun. He goes of a self-called and he doesn't finish the, yeah. se- the thought. And it's like, because it's nowhere, like, it's like, it's almost like, it's almost kind of scary. It's like he vanishes at the end. Yeah. And you just have that little guitar strum, which is very ominous and like very creepy sounding. He got swallowed up. They've really never done anything like this, this kind of Black holes. I really want to <laughs> put that across. It reminds me of Black Hole Sun. Yeah. They've never done a song like this before. Because a lot of Linnell's songs on this album are all are kind of just these upbeat pop songs. But like this one is special. I I really think so. I agree. One little aside. I just want to say it because I'm going to post this on Twitter. Our Twitter is at Don't Let's Pod. When I was 14, I made a music video for this song. So and it's funny because even from 14 years old and this is like uh, this is the 90s we're talking about. Cool, dude. Editing that video. I heard the song five billion times. (laughs) So I think this is the They Might Be Dying song. I've heard more times than any other (laughs) song. To the degree that just every time it comes up on it on Harry, I'm like, yep. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like, it's so familiar to me that it's insane. Um, but when I was 14, I made a video and the other people, I, it was as a video arts a program in a summer camp. But here's the thing I just wanted to say about it, which is that, uh, you know, the other people in the program made kind of like funny videos that were very obvious. Like, mm-hmm. like here's this funny thing. I picked a song with very abstract, strange lyrics because I didn't want to make a video that you would think a 14 year old would make. I wanted to make something a little more like, I don't know, a little more adult and like weird and surreal. Yeah, in a way. So I just remember like the counselors were really surprised like, mm-hmm. whoa, this is like- Troubled. Very, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they called my parents. It's a. It was a music video. It wasn't just a bunch of funny, silly kid jokes or whatever. It was like an abstract, strange thing. And there is some jokey stuff in it, but I was really <laughs> trying to capture the song. But I made it when I was 14. What do you want from me? And I edited it on videotape, not with a computer. Cool. This next song actually came uh, in the credits for my music video because we just let the CD player keep running (laughs) when we uh, overlaid the music. Um, But it's Meet James Enzor. Hey. Meet.
0: James Ensor, Spain, famous painter. Dig him up and shake his hand. Appreciate the man. Before there were junk stores, before there was junk, he lived with his
1: mother. Dave, Dave. James, <laughs> there's Anzor. someone I'd like you to meet. My friend, James Ensor. Wow. Okay. Uh, this could be an episode in itself. to discuss this song. We're gonna try to really n- not make it that because we're, right. we're 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 knee deep in this episode. Yeah. I so. thought
2: we were wrapping up.
1: No, yeah, no, I know. So after the darkness of a self called nowhere, we get this kind of a bright acoustic song. Yeah. It still actually has kind of a dark subject matter, sort of. Yeah. I actually, I'm literally a James Enzor expert now. (laughs) I spent the past several days um, obsessing over James Enzor.
2: I mean, looking through the lyrics, there's some dark undertones. Yes.
1: But Flansburg, well, I'll get into this more in detail. He doesn't really give you the whole story. And I think Flansburg, Mm. he makes it a little more bleak than it it actually is. And I don't know if that was on purpose or if he didn't read the full biography of James (laughs) Enzor. But it's actually, you know, compared to a lot of famous painters, Enzor's life he was not, well. he, he, his life was not as tragic yeah. and beset with like insanity and yeah. <laughs> and
2: horror. Because it says like he lost all his friends. We're and gonna he yeah had torments of Christ. We're and, gonna
1: go through all that. Yeah. I gotta go, so this is a really complex one, just put putting my cards on the table here. We're gonna have to go like line by line very specifically. All right.
2: Um so yeah. Well before we get into that, musically, okay. how does this song strike you?
1: I, it's a breath of fresh air, yeah. honestly. Um, something that I was thinking the other day is like, I wish there were more songs on John Henry that had an acoustic arrangement. I mean, it's a rock album, but when I was listening, I was like, wow, this is like one of the only songs like this where it's like, Flansard's ac- playing acoustic guitar, Linnell's
2: playing accordion. Yeah, there's a nice accordion. Very
1: classic style for yeah. them. The Very drums are, are like not playing a rock band beat, you know, for a lot of it. Uh, it's, yeah, the bass is, like, subtle. It's not, you know, so this is, like, just a, a musically and sonically, this is, like, a song that I think is very welcome at this point yeah, in the album. variety, yeah. And I would, like, if they, we've talked about this kind of thing before, like, if they did a whole album in this style <laughs> where it's, like, oh, here's our, like, More stripped down. I mean, bands do that. Like Beck has an album that's like all acoustic guitar and sad songs. Well,
2: they have a section of their show that they do that now.
1: Yeah, Quiet Storm. And I love that. And I think I think that's part of that same impulse of like, oh, let's show that we can sound interesting this way or good this way. It's interesting dynamics. So I I love the music of Meet James Enzor. And it's like, it's like insanely catchy. I
2: feel like this is also one of those songs that like people who don't know a lot about They Might Be Giants (laughs) cite as like an example of how they write music because it's a specific (laughs) historical thing, you know, Mm -hmm. or historical figure. And they don't do it that much, really. They don't. Um, So it's kind (laughs) of unfair.
1: Yeah. And um, it's funny. Uh, I was listening to an interview where they talk about the difference between this and James K. Polk. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was maybe going to save that clip for when we talk about James K. Polk again, because it's a lot of James K. Polk talk. But the gist of it is that they're just like this song to to Flansburg, at least, is a little bit more. It's more poetic. It's not Mm -hmm. just a biography. There's like it's more of a. It's
2: not his Wikipedia page.
1: Yeah, it's like more of a piece of art itself as like in terms of like the lyrical ambiguities and. And the use of, there's like metaphor and there's yeah. wordplay and there's all this stuff.
2: Is there though? Tell me more.
1: I have so much to say. I have a massive amount of notes here. I'm going to try to... Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try. All I can do is try. First line. Yeah. <laughs> meet James... En- well, let's do the first sort of two lines. Meet James Enzor. Yeah. Belgium's famous painter. Now... That's straightforward though. It's not. There's... <laughs> Son of a gun. <laughs> Shut up. Here's... <laughs> um. Why is he saying Belgium's famous painter? Because there's part He's of a joke there. He's not even from
2: Belgium. No, no. He's from New Jersey.
1: My point is, imagine if you said something like, America's famous painter. Like, there's yeah. a lot of pain. The point, The um, point, and let's listen to, to Flansburg talk about this first, actually. Okay. And this actually sums up a lot of what the song's about to Flansburg. But here he talks about the idea of fame in Belgium, hmm. uh, which was a very different concept. And, there was, and the point is, I mean, just to summarize very briefly, there weren't a lot of famous people from there yeah so at the time well, it's james, not a
2: very big place
1: no so so james Ensor, he actually was he was kind of a big fish in a small pond. Mm-hmm.
5: there was an aspect of his fame that i thought was a really interesting thing to try to e- encapsulate in a song which is that he, he kind of hit the scene and was celebrated by everyone very early on like in the middle of his life he kind of he flourished in obscurity for 10 or 15 years he's from belgium which like is like what english people make jokes about you know <laughs> <laughs> um you know and uh, uh, so, like, it's an obscure place. Famous people don't come from Belgium. And, uh, and then he was discovered by Impressionists and was celebrated, and th- Expressionists, excuse me, celebrated. And then in the second half of his life, he basically became this weird self-parody. And uh, I think that's there's something about the nature of fame that actually, you know, can be more destructive than than constructive and that's really
2: ultimately what the song is about Whew. glad i avoided that <laughs> what, what, what do you yeah
5: <laughs> yeah you won't catch me
1: getting famous uh-huh. that's a sucker's game as yeah. they say um what do you think of that clip dave there's a lot there's a lot there
2: i thought the clip was great i thought all <laughs> Thank of it you. sounded interesting
1: <laughs> yeah so he to him the reason the second line of the song is Belgium's there. famous yeah. painter it's there's actually is a lot more going on under that in well,
2: you've illuminated my mind.
1: Yeah, like I guess my point is like he chose those words very carefully. Right.
2: It'd be like naming like a small town in yes. Middle America or something like
1: Yeah, like I don't know any small towns. Oh, have you met our famous musician in yeah. in Queens? You know? Yeah. So okay, let's move on to the next line. We're gonna we're doing this. We did it. Okay. This this line's a bit well heavy. Dig him up and as Ira Glass says, shake him hand. Uh, <laughs> does you know, he in gigantic he he slips on the words there and always oh, drives, drives me crazy they should have got another take anyway dig him up and sh- shake him hand yeah appreciate the man well let's talk about the dig him up and shake his hand part um
2: that's morbid <laughs> that's
1: morbid <laughs> one day inside we'll ex- joke. yeah <laughs> well one day we'll explain that it is it, this is morbid <laughs> dust is morbid well let's let's first let's hear what Flansbury has to say about why this line is in the song
5: we'd like to draw your attention to how thin and young we look in the posters right directly
3: behind us <laughs>
5: <laughs> and speaking of thin and young this next song is about a guy who painted pictures of himself in the present day he's from the turn of the century and of course we're talking about skeletons the song is the titles in the first line
1: this is one of the coolest things about james enzor and it's very much they might be giants sense of humor and our sense of mm-hmm. humor i think i can speak for you always um babe. what john flansberg is referring to uh he did two sort of popular or very known self-portraits where he's a skeleton <laughs> and what i also and just in a general sense what i love about james enzor's art i became a fan this week um, though I've always, because of the song, I've always been like, I like James Enzor. I,
2: mean, I think I have a postcard of him that was uh, on my mm. wall for a long time. Yeah. The skeleton one. Yes. There, I don't know. There was so much stuff in my old room. So uh,
1: one of the one Not
2: interesting, but I said it.
1: <laughs> well, your room, the walls in your room used to yeah. be absolutely yeah. covered. You looked like you were hunting a serial killer <laughs> or whatever. But it's it a was guy like who a killed X Men uh, characters. Yeah. <laughs> so there's two there's two I'll do this one first he did a portrait called skeleton painter in his studio
2: yeah that's the one I had
1: and what I love about this one is he doesn't that's great. he doesn't call it a self portrait he says skeleton painter right but it's dressed like him it has his hair and it's exact, an exact replica of his studio as you can see here hmm. and he actually has a skull on top of his easel
2: this guy's metal
1: yes so he was really and what's funny about this and this song to me is it ties so many John Henry themes together and like the skull on the album Cover yeah. looks just like the skull on it James do. Enzor's easel. So another uh piece that I'm pretty sure, I'm very sure that this uh line is referencing is it's sort of an it's an etching from James Enzor, and it's called My Portrait in 1960. So remember, right. this
2: is this is that's in the future. This is
1: the future, exactly. Uh, and it's what it is. It's uh it's a drawing, it's a very disturbing drawing of like a skeleton. Mm. With like kind of a rotting skeleton. We're gonna
2: make that the next dead in a Friday album cover.
1: Yeah, with James Enzor's hair and there's a giant scary spider crawling up to him, which kind of implies Ew. he's he's, you know, bug food or whatever spiders um, don't do that what's interesting about this is this really reminds me of that they might be giants uh 2060 comeback tour yeah. t-shirt <laughs> where they're skeletons it's literally the same idea yeah. and obviously they did the 2040 tour too mm-hmm. which is a similar idea but not almost not as i mean maybe it's more bleak in a way but they're <laughs> they're elderly in that yeah. and it's funny but the it's basically the same concept as. And
2: yeah but they don't know
1: they don't yeah, know where true. science
2: is going to go. Yeah.
1: And so, but James Enzor, I, I, th- I think it can't be emphasized enough. Like, no one had done anything like this before. And James Enzor, a lot of what the point of the song is about and why he's of interest is that he was kind of ahead of his time. Yeah. There were some other artists doing some surreal stuff. Well, there's like Memento
2: Mores and stuff.
1: Mm, what's that? I know it's an X Files episode, but.
2: Well, I mean, in Renaissance times, there was a big push to like. Kind of draw skulls, and I guess with religion and everything, remind people that life is, you know, finite. Yes, but probably not to like the sort of pop levels.
1: It's I think what the thing about Enzor, and, and I, I watched like all these YouTube like lectures about him and stuff. What, what they all say is that it's kind of a blend of things. A lot of it is the humor he used, which was like this right. dark yeah. humor. A lot of it was also, there's kind of a, a crassness to a lot of his stuff. Right. Uh, there's a thing he did of him like pissing on like mm-hmm. the wall and like it was like a, against his critics. And so like he kind of had like a sophomoric right. sense of humor. So the the self-portrait as a skeleton like no one had done that sort of thing before
2: yeah I don't think anybody in in Renaissance times was like f- thought it was funny it was like yeah, very that's, reverent that's thing. and like very I, serious I, I
1: know the paintings you're talking about like yeah. I find them very creepy and,
2: and yeah like the hidden skull that was flat yes you know that one? yeah I know to, it looks I like saw a that smudge. One in person yeah. yeah me too pretty cool. Yes. Skulls are cool dude.
1: So yeah, so naming your your painting or your drawing self-portrait yeah. in 1960 and that's crazy cuz we know what the 60s were. Yeah. But this was like that this was so long before that that it's like When did he live? 1860 to okay. 1949. So he actually lived he to be 80, Yeah, I know. He lived to be eighty-nine, which again, if you look up a lot of like history of like yeah. painters, a lot of them die really yeah. young and have a horrible illnesses. Did like, you think he, he was he like oh, well. eleven
2: more years and I could have
1: <laughs> made the
2: year of that self portrait. Exactly.
1: He also did a self portrait where he's wearing like this kind of lady's flower hat. Mm-hmm. And it's like a really funny image. It's like, it looks like a classical, a lot of his stuff was kind of, he had a lot of classical influences, but then he would twist it and mm. kind of make fun like, of it.
2: they might be giants.
1: Exactly. Well, a lot of my point about this is it, the song is very much like a personal and I think kind of about them.
2: Well, that's why it spoke to Flansburg, I guess.
1: Yes. So like, yeah, he was kind of like a mischievous uh, guy. And mm. so we're we're going to, but we're going to discover more as we go Bit line by line. Yes. Before there were junk stores, before there was junk. Well, first of all, I love that line. That's mm-hmm. a great, That's an interesting idea yeah. <laughs> that just like, there was nothing old. It was all new because it mm. was, everything was, it's the olden times. <laughs> so there was nothing right. that had aged yet, Whoa. which is a weird idea. I mean, I feel like you could unpack that for a while. Yeah. But um, he lived with his mother, i pause, it's true. James Enzor lived with his parents. He actually lived with both parents, though his 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 dad died younger. Mm -hmm. So there, I guess technically, I think there was a time it was just his mother. But mostly, he lived with both his parents because he they had an attic that he used as his studio. Mm -hmm. But I did read and I read also various articles. I didn't just read Wikipedia. I like mm-hmm. looked up all these articles. Good for you. Well, yeah, thank you. One did make mention that it was like unusual for a grown man at that time to be it living is. with his parents. <laughs> well, because you don't know what's normal in 1800s. Like, I don't know. But so they, it, it is a point of interest because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, he lives with his parents. That's weird. But they had a big attic studio and he, he painted. So he lived with his parents uh, from 1880 until 1917, like well into... Old Middle aged, age. yeah. I mean, it's 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 weird. I think I made me think about that a lot because it's like it's so wrong, but it's like at the same time, and it's like so right. it's it's so right. It just seems like a nice thing to do. Like, well, they're my family. What's the problem with that?
2: There are some cultures where the whole family lives together, including that, the grandparents. That's
1: right. I thought of several that. generations. Yeah, so I think in Asian, it's cultures, really a cultural I thing. I could be
2: wrong. <laughs> I'm not an expert. Don't write in.
1: Now let's go to the second half of that line. Lived with his mother and the torments of Christ. I looked that up. You looked it up. There's yeah. a lot going on here. It's a painting. This is, so that's not the name of the painting. The name of the which I used to think it was, because I think a TMBG FAC or some FAQ had the wrong Oh, see, intro. I just
2: thought he was like uh, with religious uh, guilt or something. I, I didn't realize no. it was. There's I a, mean, I'm sure that was done on purpose too.
1: There's a big psychology behind this line, and it's a very specific reference. So James Enzor's, uh, everything said, everything agreed that his most famous painting, though it's funny because it's one I didn't know about. I knew about the other, the skull ones. His most famous painting is called "Christ's Entry into Brussels" in 1889, and it was painted in 1888. So it's another weird future one. Mm-hmm. So I will show you this painting, Dave, because this is what this this is all about. So it's a massive, giant yeah, painting. That's big. Um, you you can't, don't even know how big. I'll show you a picture of what it looks like next to a person.
2: A lot of weird so, faces in it.
1: So this is the crazy. This is the thing about this painting. James Enzor and i I just want to say i really uh I connect with him on these levels. Mm-hmm. He was very immature, very petty <laughs> um he kind of hated his own scene that he was in, mm-hmm. and I think both of us kind of relate yeah. to that we i hate everything. we have like struggles with the th- like you know the like I wouldn't join any club that has I me as a member sorry um <laughs> but like he be sorry babe. he was basically that like yeah. he he was in this group.
2: And I think T M B G is a little bit like that too.
1: They are because they're like, we do funny songs. We're like, but don't lump us with funny, quirky songwriters. We're not like that. And I'm the same way. (laughs) Like, I'm like, I'm a big They Might Be Giants fan, but don't say my music is just like They Might Be Giants because that'll annoy me or like, or Mm. even like, oh, I I don't really spend a lot of time with other They Might Be Giants fans because it's too much, Mm. you know. Um, So James Enzor was the same way. And he was started doing these weirder paintings with all these scary masks and stuff. And people hated it in the circles he was in, critics and mm-hmm. his contemporaries, his other, the other painters that he was involved with hated it. So around this time, he did this giant painting, this Christ entry into Brussels. Yeah. And Dave, can you find Christ? In I was just painting? gonna ask. That, so that, that's part of the point. But yeah, can you, it's I, like, where's I Waldo? Yeah. <laughs>
2: where's Christ? I don't know, he could be wearing one of the masks. So
1: Christ is here, have to Zoom in. he's in the middle.
2: Oh, I see him now. He's got the nice halo. He's
1: come, yeah, he's got a big thing behind him. Yeah. So the point, the so there's so many different jokes happening. Well, and now the, I
2: can't not see him.
1: Yeah. The idea behind this is that it's, it's mocking society. And I think there might be something about like people maybe uh, not being religious anymore. Yeah, yeah. But it's basically no one's paying attention to Christ. They're yeah. all having fun. They're all partying. There's like a mayor or something giving a speech. Um, there's if this he came
2: back today, we'd all ignore him, man.
1: That, I think that's what it captures. But here's the other layer: James Enzor drew Christ like him to look like himself hmm. because he kind of looked. He's like had a beard and a mustache and was like kind of Albrecht a thin, Durer. a thin guy. Like yeah. who?
2: Albrecht Durer. Who's that? He's one of my favorite artists from Ooh. the 1500s, I, uh, I believe. And uh, he did a lot of woodcuts and stuff. Hmm. And he did a lot of religious. Woodcuts, but he did a self portrait where he looks exactly like Jesus. Yeah. He did like an oil painting. And I was like, did he actually look like that? He also really handsome. Or is he just like, hey, no one's going to know the difference?
1: James Enzor was handsome. Yeah. And uh, so he used to draw himself as Christ in a bunch of different paintings. Hmm. So this one, part of the joke or part of the point, maybe here is that everyone's ignoring, that he's doing this groundbreaking miraculous yeah. art and no one cares. <laughs> right. Which is so much like I have, I mean, I have songs about right. like, no one <laughs> yeah. cares about my my great
5: stuff. You know what I mean?
2: I think that happens a lot with artists. You know, they always feel like they're not being appreciated.
5: Yeah. yeah. He's like very, very fresh to modern eyes. He definitely yeah. looks more like a modern, like somebody from right now than somebody from the turn He was very much ahead of his time. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know necessarily if I've ever seen any of his stuff. I, mean, I probably have, I just don't know. You know well, his most famous painting is 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 of uh, Jesus on a cross being brought into like contemporary uh, Brussels at like in like at the oh. turn of the century and it's this totally weird like party scene. That sort uh-huh. of looks like a Mardi Gras scene. Yeah, and he yeah, also did yeah. this painting of himself that was like self portrait in 1975 or something it was like the skeleton wearing his clothes or, you know it's just really projecting into the future up. wow yeah, cool yeah. speaking so. of jesus on the cross did anybody see zena warrior princess last night zena was what is that show zena was zena <laughs> was being crucified last night <laughs> i
1: left a little extra bit of that clip in there just to make dave laugh uh, then they talk about zena for 5 minutes it's that's really great. weird good um, show
2: good show i'm a fan <laughs> Um, I am I'm, I don't apologize
1: for it No, Flansburg's a little off Jesus is not on the cross It's more yeah. like a happy parade Where Jesus is waving at people But everyone's ignoring him
2: I liked Hercules too
1: Yeah, I know I'm a
2: fan of the whole Shared universe This is before the Marvel stuff That's all we had <laughs> Yeah
1: yeah.
2: And I'm even more a fan of uh, Kevin Sorbo's views now <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah So, so yeah That's like his most famous painting We're gonna talk about A few more paintings though Don't worry nice.
0: The world was transformed. A crowd gathered round, pressed against his window, so they could be the first to meet James and Belgium's famous painter. Raise a glass and sit and stare. Understand the man.
1: The world was transformed. I mean, that's true. Mm -hmm. He was doing groundbreaking, as Flansburg said in that clip, he was doing groundbreaking strange ahead of its time stuff a lot of his stuff you know one person on the, in one of those youtube lectures compared his stuff to kind of indie comics from the 70s like r crumb and, sure. and, and, and yeah. some of his not his paintings but he did like uh, more sketches and drawings mm-hmm. where it is more cartoony and kind of funny looking and it's definitely doesn't seem like it's from the 1880s or whatever a crowd gathered round pressed against his window Uh, So, I have a few ideas about this line. So, the window may not refer to his where he lived, but his mom owned a gift shop for carnival items. And this is where all these masks and stuff come from that's in his paintings. All right. So, that they I see you. So you could look that up, but she had a, it was a, literally a shop window yeah. and people might, because of James Enzor maybe gave it business or whatever. But the other idea that I have about this, a crowd pressed against his window really evokes what his paintings are like, which is that there's all these people in your it's, face. Yeah, and, and smushed
2: together. And- smushed
1: together, yeah. And I'll show you some, that I, I put a few of these together. Like So there's this one called Masks Confronting Death. And there's like all these people here. There's also, um, I'll show you. There's, yeah, there's like all these, this one. Yikes. There's the intrigue, which is like just all these people in masks and they're all kind of smooshed together. And and some of these, this a uh, common thread in these um, YouTube lectures and stuff online that I read is that like, his composition is like suffocating yeah, because yeah. there's no room to breathe and everyone's on top of each other. And, and like, sometimes there's
2: no focus either. There's no so focus, you, like the pe-
1: Christ one. Right.
2: Yeah. You're just kind of lost in inside of it. Nothing is pointing to it. A big thing in composition yep. is whatever your most important element is, it should pop out either mm-hmm. with colors, contrasting or Perspective. Yes, yeah, so, like something subtly pointing to it. Yeah, there's no perspective. No, <laughs> there's no horizon line, and there's no uh, difference in tone anywhere. So it's the colors is the
1: other thing. Yeah, which is that he didn't. There's I no do art. Yeah, we yeah <laughs> we we both are really into this kind of stuff. Actually, there's no uh, like, you know, like a Bob Ross thing. I'll be like. Oh, and like, this will be a sunset. So there's like orange everywhere Uh on the thing and everything, you know, like even in a comic book, like a page will have kind of a central color tone. it. gotta have a hot spot. Yes, but his don't, his paintings don't have that. It's- And they're all neutral too. Bright red, bright green- you know, like blue, bre- like it's completely. But they're
2: not even that bright. Like the red is the same uh, intensity as the green, as, yeah. as the yellow, as the blue.
1: Yes. That's and it's crazy. all competing for yeah. your attention. Yes. It's all primary colors kind of. And, and a lot of his, and this is again from a very specific period of, it his, of his time. It makes you feel like
2: drunk almost. Or yes. like on drugs or something.
1: So speaking of being drunk, the yeah. next line, raise a glass and right. sit and stare. Understand <laughs> the man. So, okay. I have a few ideas about this. Though I, I keep going for it, do you want to say anything? Or I mean,
2: sit and stare <laughs> reminds me of just what we were—what you just talking about. <laughs> looking at me yeah. while
1: I talked about James Enzor for five hours.
2: Yes. Well, it reminds me of what we were just talking about, which yeah. is you have to look at his stuff for a long time because yeah. there's no focal point necessarily.
1: Yeah. I mean, so Flansburg's using the phrase sit and stare as if you're meeting the man, James Ensor. But what he's really saying is like, that's what you do with a painting. You, right. There's nothing else you can do with it. It, it doesn't uh, do anything else. And also
2: the longer you look at his stuff, I mean, just even looking at yeah, it on the yeah. screen, I'm I'll noticing it. A- it does something to your mind it's like putting you in a certain mindset yeah. the more you look at it it makes you like feel crazy yeah it does
1: it does in a good way in a good way cuz it's funny cuz it's like i was saying with the humor there's some artists like Goya mm-hmm. where I'm like, I, I can't even look at it. Like makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. Like me and Kristen had a bit, had like a debate once because she wanted to hang up a really disturbing <laughs> Goya painting. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't want to see that every day. <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah. too much.
3: Or you like know? in my,
2: in my hallway, I have like a Harano's Bosch. Yes. You know, the, you do the hell, the hell, the, what the hell. <laughs> and like, uh, you know, like I look at it every morning while like, you know, yeah. Chrissy's leaving for work or whatever. Exactly, and, and there is humor in that too. But it there also is. does like put you in a weird <laughs> state of yes. mind the first but, yeah. thing in the morning.
1: But with Enzor's stuff, a lot of it to me is 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 kind of funny. But there is disturbing too. The mass confronting death one is disturbing. I actually wrote a little I don't like that one report about that in uh, junior high school. I'll post that on Twitter because oh, I, okay. I found it the other day. I'll take I took a picture. But then there's also raise a glass, which. Uh, this might be referring to... He uh, he did a lot of paintings about alcohol and, and drunks, and there's one famous painting called The Drunkards. Yeah. So there's another name for it, and I, let me try to find... Yeah, there's another name for it that I saw that was called Drunkards Seek Solace in Alcohol, which sounds like a they might be song. Mm. It's from 1882, so it's just like these two guys, one of them's passed out yeah. on the table. <laughs> and I also, for context, this is again this was a radical thing because people were still kind of in the zone of painting like royalty Mm -hmm. and like more sophisticated uh, things, if not just like landscapes or something. So James Enzor painting like some drunk guys at a bar.
2: Real life in your face.
1: Yeah, and it's not romanticized either. Mm -hmm. So it's not like drunk people at a bar and it's like, look, look how, uh, look how gay they are or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's like these two pathetic, sad looking guys. You know, and it's a very dim, dismal uh, kind of thing. Two pathetic,
2: sad-looking guys. I like that. <laughs> that
1: should be our podcast <laughs> name. He
0: lost all his friends. He didn't leave his friends. He lived with his mother and repeated himself. The world has forgotten. The world
1: moved along. The crowd at his waist... Right away in the song, I mean, the second verse comes pretty quick. Uh, we're already in, like, the decline... <laughs> You know he gets so it's like the other side of fame you know the mm-hmm. vh1 behind the music on James Ensor yeah where was that episode um I here's my opinion though after reading and and learning more about James Ensor Flansburg's a little rough on him but I I want to talk about the line he lost all his friends mm-hmm. and then he didn't need his friends which are two separate ideas mm-hmm. that I have things for
3: here's a
5: song that was a uh Taken directly from the uh, Janssen History of Art book. It's page 48,000. And uh, the song is called Meet James Ensor. And of course, you might notice the, the title of the song is featured in the first line of the song, making introducing the song a show business problem.
1: So, Dave... So I went on a search for this book. Here it is. I have the book that Flansburg's talking about, uh, the history of art. It's called Architecture, Painting, Sculpture. So the reason I'm bringing up the book yes, now and yeah. not earlier is because when he says he took stuff from the book, what he took is the mention of James Ensor losing his friends, which, which I could see jumping out to Flansburg or anyone really as kind of a weird way to put it, right, mm. in in the book. So let us let me read this to you, Dave. Oh, it's a big book. It's a p- page. Well, this, is, this isn't this is even the end, and it's page 817. Psh, books. So this is what he's referring to, and I'm going to read the sentence. Gee, I didn't think i have to go to school. Yeah. You're in a Professor cool Jordan. school. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, look, that got what it deserved. Um, <laughs> the Belgian, James Enzor, one of the Groupe de Vins. I can't pronounce words that are not English, uh, turned away from the sensitive recording of the world around him and used his work to criticize that world. He rejected not only naturalism, but also traditional standards of fine painting, adopting a cartoonish manner that led even his friends of Lévi to exclude him from their exhibitions. So that's the line. What a bunch of dicks. That uh, it... It made his friends excluded. So here's here's the story. You know what I say to that, Jordan?
2: Yeah. <laughs> then they weren't really his friends to begin with.
1: That's right. That's right. Every, that's right, boys and girls. A we, real friend.
2: We like people for their good qualities. We love them because of their flaws.
1: That's right. Well, it's funny because it's not a flaw. It's that he was a groundbreaking painter. Well, then what I said has
2: no <laughs> merit whatsoever.
1: Well, in their eyes, it was a flaw. No, I wanted to talk about this. So the reason that uh, I said before that James Ensor's paintings were they were kind of petty and mean is because once this started happening to him (laughs) he put it right in his work and it's very funny because they're very vindictive there's some specific examples but just to give more context so he was part of a group that in English it's called the 20 Mm -hmm. and they were these painters in that area Mm -hmm. and they were a collective and you know we've me and you Dave have been part of like little artsy groups throughout the years and I think like I said we don't fit in with them either even though the The whole point is like we're a bunch of people who don't fit in and then we're like well i don't fit in with that i'm a lone
2: wolf baby
1: and again like we said i'm uh, that is what they might be giants are like so this group he's he basically had all these like disagreements with this group Mm -hmm. about who to let in whose work to feature about his own work they didn't like it so the painting he did of the of christ he hid that away for thirty years because he did it and no one wanted it, it seen. So he just put it in his attic for like. But art is so subjective.
2: It, How can you have all these arbitrary rules? Because th- this it's is so what stupid. I lo- this is
1: what I learned about at the time is it, it was really kind of political and very about like. Oh uh, stop! You know groups and <laughs> click, yeah. clicks or whatever. So it wasn't about the art. It kind of it was about like doing the kind of right kind of art, you know, like and, and so James Enzor right speak. James Enzor hated that, mm. and it's funny. So wait, there's a really funny quote from him. He sounds
2: like another man that was persecuted. You might know his name.
1: Yeah, well, so this is the other thing I want to talk about. This
2: Johnny Cash. <laughs>
1: this this ties in with all those other john henry songs like james enzor might mm-hmm. as well be the why must i be sad guy yeah, or the yeah. i should be allowed to think guy he's another one of these rebels yeah. who kind of like no one understands me and so and so he got revenge in his paintings by constantly <laughs> drawing his he, these friends that he lost as like fools or morons in the in the painting we looked at before with christ entering brussels in the background he put two people vomiting (laughs) over the symbol for that art collective he was in because he was saying, fuck you. (laughs) The other thing that's funny about him is he's very self-pitying and he's kind of, (laughs) he has a Christ complex. He's like, look, I'm being persecuted constantly by these people who don't. And it's hard to say from our vantage point how serious that was Mm because he's having fun with it, but maybe it was really upsetting and, and horrible. He did another painting called uh, The Dangerous Cooks. And what it is, it's he put his severed head on mm-hmm. a platter and he has the body of a fish. <laughs> the art, oh, so I'm going to read this. The art critics Octave Mouse and Edouard Fetty are seen in The Dangerous Cooks preparing to serve Enzor's head to a group of five diners, two, two of whom are vomiting <laughs> <laughs> in anticipation of seeing Enzor's work. Enzor had a long history of animosity towards the critics. They called his work Garbage, Sinister Idiocies. That's a good podcast yeah. name too. So he like, he just keeps getting revenge in yeah. all these paintings.
2: Couldn't he be more constructive with his time?
1: <laughs> yeah. So like the line, he lost all his friends, but then he didn't need his friends, mm. I think refers to him being like, well, I don't need you. Any-. Like right. Basically what I wrote in my notes is like, Enzor burned all these bridges, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like really hard. He's just like, okay, you're not going to like this one painting. Well, then I'll draw you looking stupid and vomiting in another painting. <laughs>
2: I thought the best revenge was just living well.
1: No, not for him. I mean, that's the thing is I I love this. This makes me love his. I mean, (laughs) you know, I'm a big. I love Morrissey's lyrics because Morrissey is similarly immature and petty, and like does this kind of thing in his lyrics where you're like, "Oh my god, you should be above this." Yeah. What
2: happened to being the bigger man? But
1: I, because I find it honest. That's the thing. Because we all have these feelings, and so I, I, to me, it's like a kind of. It's a it's a very it's a truthful thing about humanity that and again you exaggerate it like I think Morrissey mm-hmm. is exaggerating I think I my lyrics are, can be very petty I'm kind of exaggerating too because it's just supposed to be it's funny it's funny to me so funny it's funny <laughs> why aren't you laughing it's funny <laughs> the next line he lived with his mother and repeated himself yeah so that's a little bit of a, a harsh line mm-hmm. um it was actually kind of hard to find what he meant by repeated himself. I did find this one line, I think this was somewhere on Wikipedia, but they did say at one point, the aggressive sarcasm that had characterized Enzor's work since the mid 1880s was less evident in his few new compositions and much of his output consisted of mild repetitions of earlier works. Mm. So for example, I did notice in one of these slideshows I watched, his works post 1900, well, he painted a lot less. Like, he got more into music. Um, so, he didn't even paint that much anyway, which is fine. You don't, like, have to. Um, but, like, when he did, there was one that's, like, a normal, like, still life, like, mm. just stuff on a table. But then he, like, throws in one of his weird masks in the corner. Right. <laughs> just to be like, oh, I still do this. Right, right. I think that's what Flansburg's referring to is that kind of pattern where Enzo would just kind of, like, kind of, like, oh, here's a wacky mask. And it does, it doesn't right. have the same impact, you know? But, I also think it's a little mean. It's like he mostly just lost interest in painting yeah. and he did other stuff. And he's still, the paintings he did do in the last like 30 years of his life are still great. And a lot of them are like standouts. Mm. It's just that he didn't do them as often. But yeah, Flansburg's being a little, he's p- painting a bleak portrait.
2: I thought he was repeating himself because his mom was hard of hearing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that is what happened. But Am yeah. I
2: joking? Who and, he, knows? and he
1: did move out. I mean, like his parents died at some point. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't live when they weren't alive when he was eighty-nine. So <laughs> at some point, he didn't live with his parents.
2: Well, then it's basically talking about people losing interest in him.
1: But uh, the thing that Flansburg isn't really telling you is that when Enzor was older, he was super honored and respected, and mm-hmm. he was made a baron by like a king, mm-hmm. and he apparently like you know he still lived in the same little town and everyone knew who he was and they would say hi to like it seems like he had people a people said a, hi to him he's <laughs> the ultimate honor wow. um no what i mean is it seems he had a fairly pleasant uh, mm. older years where he was just
3: respected was
1: right? and nice and and uh, nice to, <laughs> he was like respected and loved by the townspeople and he didn't really feel the big need to like keep pumping out paintings though he still did you know mm-hmm. And like I said, other artists that you'll read about have way scarier uh, demises, right? Some people lost limbs. Yes,
2: (laughs) exactly. And ears.
1: Yeah. Oh, here we go. 1929, he was named a baron by King Albert. You can't get better than that, right? Yeah, and he got all these other honors. That's that's um, the Museum of Modern Art uh, existed in the, his later years and like did this whole celebration of him. And so yeah, he he didn't like die in obscurity or whatever. He James
2: Ensor, he, he was
1: fine. He is fine. Don't worry. I just wanted to like don't worry about James Enzor. He things ended pretty well for him as as things go. I wanted to talk about. Uh, there's a few quotes from them from They Might Be Giants mm-hmm. that I thought uh, kind of tied to maybe some larger themes in the song. This is from 1995.
5: All right. Well, uh, this this next song is a... uh, (laughs) kind of a piece of uh, expression disguised as a piece of information, sort of of like this show. Very much. And uh, it, of course... I'm sure you people are familiar with the E major chord as the people's chord, since (laughs) this is an NPR crowd. Um, But it's a uh, little-known fact that the E minor chord is the dead... person's (laughs) person's court, <laughs> which is what brings us to this
1: next song. <clears throat> Flansburg's saying, I don't know if you heard, he said, this is a piece of expression disguised as a piece of information. Mm-hmm. I find that very interesting. Um, you think
2: he thinks he's James Ensor? I, th-
1: I think what Flansburg's saying there, and he could say this probably for a lot of their factual songs, you know, yeah. is that the, they are expressing something, but it's yeah. it's being presented to you. As if they're not expressing something, which I think people think about a lot of. They might be giant songs in general.
2: Yeah, there's a reason they connect to them. Yeah, and any of these pop culture references in general that we've been talking about
1: all these years. <laughs> yeah, they're deeply personal, and yeah. I, I mean, like they're not arbitrary. Yeah, exactly. And I think this song is. I think this song, like a lot of things we've talked about with some is of the songs on the album, most
2: personal song yet.
1: Not that, maybe, but I think it's. I think it's another song like we talked about is Dirt Bike, about their cult audience and about... Mm-hmm. I think this is another song where there's kind of a metaphor there about they might be Giant's Place in history and, mm-hmm. and how their contemporaries, if they get along with them or not, and all these things. Yeah. I think there's like a deep... And then also a larger idea, and I'll play the next clip to talk about this, about what art even is and what the value of being an artist is. Art, what is it? <laughs>
0: This song is about a man who
5: died one hundred years ago. And he lives
1: in your house. So I know it sounds like he's just joking there. Yeah. But when you think about like what a what a piece of art left behind by someone Uh,
2: a work of art.
1: Is there a difference? (laughs) You don't call it's not a piece of anything. A piece of music. Oh, right. Music a is a picture is hung, a
2: person is hanged. A
1: picture is, you know what I always say, it's worth a thousand words. You do always say that. Yeah. A work of art. But so, okay, but try to follow me here. Meh? Him saying, <laughs> he this man died a hundred years, years ago and yeah. he lives in your house. Imagine like you have a and James Ensor painting.
3: Yeah, oh. yeah. So I it's it. like,
1: it's, in a way, like it's in a way of being immortal, is that yes. you, your stuff is left behind and, and Flansburg doing this song about him is yet another piece of that James Enzor biography. Mm-hmm. Like it's on the Wikipedia that this song exists. So you, they're kind cool. of inserting themselves into his life story in a way. And Flansburgh even said that there's like a there is an a, a coffee table book of Enzor's work where they have the song lyrics as like one of the first pages. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so it's it's pretty. I should cool. write a song about somebody. Yeah, just get a sneak in Glom there. Glom onto it. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's kind of what we're doing with this podcast, isn't it?
2: Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> see,
1: but see, I fi- that's what I find interesting about the song and the larger themes and maybe the meta layers of it, which is that they are attaching themselves to yeah. James Enzor's story. And they're also showing the value of like he died a long time ago, but we're still talking about him and you Mm -hmm. can visit his stuff. Have you seen his stuff in person? Maybe. Yeah, I I saw his stuff at. uh, Where is it? I believe it's at MoMA.
2: I may have. I can't remember. I've been to so many museums.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to quote uh, James Enzor There's two quotes I found that were interesting. One, he talked about the, you know, we we're talking about the colors mm-hmm. in his things. He says, my colors are purified. They are integral and personal. So he said that about the,
2: fuck does that the mean? He-
1: colors in his work. I think he was trying, maybe he's trying to offset the idea that they're randomly placed. Yeah. Like we were saying, he's like, no, no, they're, very intentional. I don't know. I'm just guessing. The other thing I thought was funny uh, talking about his pettiness was he said <laughs> my favorite occupation is to make others famous to uglify them to enrich their ugliness.
2: <laughs> I guess everyone needs a hobby.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was great. Um, then of course we'll shift to the music a little towards at the end of this an electric guitar comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very simple and it's it's kind of funny. I mean I was thinking I don't think they're like consciously trying to make the song like an Enzor painting or whatever. But in a way, it's like some of Enzor's... So Enz, James Enzor could paint in that very classical, mm. real style. Because yeah, if you look yeah. at his early works, it just looks like Renaissance paintings or whatever. Yeah. Maybe a little splotchier, impressionistic, but you know they're very real. A lot of those guys could. Yeah, that's, that's what like Picasso choice, could, right? right? To just do something different. So then James Enzor had this very flat, cartoony style yeah. later so it's like it's funny because that simplicity deceptive simplicity is like this electric guitar riff is just so simple it's yeah, like yeah. two notes three notes de, 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 de. i think it's two. might be two. <laughs> two might be two um And then everyone kind of layers, I mean, like painting layers, they layer on top of that guitar riff, you know, so then the accordion does it. So the bass comes in and it's doing the riff high up, right? Yeah, I think so. And then it goes low, Yeah. which is funny because this album really commits to the live feel, Mm -hmm. even though Flansburg is technically playing two guitars in the song. So that's not possible. They could have easily had something else come in there to be the next riff, Mm -hmm. but instead they have the bass player be like, well, there's no one else here, so (laughs) let me go down, you know?
0: Shake his hand, appreciate
1: the man. I mean, we talked to Brian Darty about that. those crazy drums. Mm-hmm. I, we can't not mention them. Uh, the drums throughout the song are, I mean... You, how would you describe them <laughs> are those brushes they might be brushes but it's also it's not just that but like some random hits here and there have a lot of reverb on them yeah but not all the hits it's just like brushes doing a constant roll it's constant yeah. lightning fast yeah and i was thinking like i mean it's like it's very unique it's unique and it's bold and it's like i also think this is capturing enzor's spirit right. it's like he made these bold choices And I feel like the the arrangement of the song, I mean, it's not too over the top. Mm -hmm. It, you know, just basically sounds like a fun acoustic pop song. But there's some really interesting choices throughout that kind of, it kind of lifts it up from just like the standard thing.
2: Because it does go back into some regular drum beats. Yeah, kind of a surf beat. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll contrast that nicely.
1: When I think about this song, one of the primary things I think of is John Linnell's Harmony. It's a little more subtle on the album than it is live. Like live, it's like that's almost the showcase Mm -hmm. is the two of them singing it together in a certain way. But on the album, it's like it's not as like in your face, you know, it's not in like a duo style where Mm -hmm. it's like, listen to the two guys. It's more subtle. But yeah, it's a great that part with the riff is like a really classic they might be giants thing. It's like a little welcome bit of I mean, not to use the word quirky, but it's (laughs) it's a welcome bit of like I'll, I'll say this. It's a welcome bit of playfulness. Yeah. On John Henry, which is very straightforward and pretty serious sounding, right? It's like nice to hear them like have some fun. So that was me, James Enzor. Do you like James? Do you like his paintings, Dave?
2: Yeah, I like them a lot, especially like everything you just showed me. Yeah, do you, any um, uh,
1: any uh, new new favorites?
2: I really like how weird all the masks
1: yeah. masks and everything are. Oh, and, there's uh, one I love here. It's so disgusting. terrifying. <laughs> this looks like the David Lynch exhibit we we <laughs> went to recently. Yeah, it's called peculiar insects. Peculiar insects, and it's a fucking nightmare. This yeah. is actually one that I find genuinely scary.
2: Yeah, I don't think I'd hang that one up in yeah. my house. Well, Jordan, like, how do you rank this in okay. the album? This song.
1: It's pretty high up. Yeah, it's not. I you know, it's funny. It's not a personal huge. I think at one time it was a favorite. Yeah, because it's like so bright and fun. But I think as the years pass, I think I go towards the more more subtle stuff on mm-hmm. John Henry. Like Dirt Bike to me is a more subtle, mysterious yeah. song, and and so is a self called Nowhere and and you know Subliminal. I don't. know. I think it's a, maybe it's in the second tier for me. But but it's yeah. weird because I love it. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean, it ranks a little lower with me, but just because there's so many damn good songs.
1: But at the same time, among their entire catalog, it's a standout special song Mm -hmm. too, and they've been it's one of the only John Henry songs they consistently yeah. play live. Yeah. And I think there's a reason, you know, I think, I don't know. It's like you could say it's just like, oh, well, it's because it's like the funny song about this painter. No one knows. But uh, which is not true. But you yeah. a new, a younger. I mean, I didn't know James Enzor until I heard the song. I think a lot of younger fans. But I think discover it's also him through the song.
2: It's also a fun celebration. Yeah. And a set list, you know.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. a good live track. It's just a great, melodic, fun, fun song. And, uh, and that's it. Oh, There's boy. Oh, up. my God. That's it. We're going to end this episode. Yeah. Uh, it's a very long episode, but uh, I'm I'm happy with it. I hope you are, too. Go to our Twitter at Don't Let's Pod. Do it. Email us at Don't Let's Start at gmail.com. What do, what's your favorite James Enzor painting? Let us know. Let us know. <laughs> We've got one more John Henry episode left then what will happen i don't know (laughs) but that's it thanks so much for all your support and have a happy holidays (laughs) have a pleasant tomorrow hey dave you you don't look like you have something to say i had something
2: to say but i can see that now i must be silent
0: crush